0: scott bowden right along ringside and ready to go with another big day of the kfr podcast as we welcome back a very special guest on what has become our most popular feature here to tell you all about today's world championship lineup is the greatest sidekick there is was and ever will be the great brian last
1: that's right scott today we are gearing up for another round of you dropped the Balm on me no with the one and only southeastern heartthrob Howard Bow. Alright,
0: all right, c- cut the music. Please, all right, dude, please, okay, yes, Howard is back. And while I'm possibly the biggest fan of the Gap Man in Los Angeles County, the returning segment is anatomy of an angle. You know? It's a very hard-hitting deep dive, very serious. So with that in mind, please give Howard the respect he deserves and do it right and don't play.
1: You You through? That's right, Scott. It's Anatomy of an Angle. But special guest Howard Baum, and together you two will hop into your Candy Apple Red DeLorean and travel back to August 14th, 1982, a date that lives in infamy in the annals of Memphis wrestling history as city native rick Flair returns to the home he never knew he had with the 10 pounds of gold in tow to defend the NWA Heavyweight Championship against the king of the country jive, fellow Memphian. Jerry Lawler at the WMC-TV5 Studios at 1960 Union Avenue.
0: And what unfolded that day was some of the best footage ever from the Territory days, featuring dueling promos between two of the biggest stars of the era, in addition to what might have been the greatest in-studio performance ever by the late, great Lance Russell. But it wasn't Lance or even Lawler or Flair who had the best line of the day, but we will tell you who did. Here's a hint, he didn't get his nickname by shaking hands and kissing babies. Plus, we'll explain why this was a good day for Jimmy Hart and perhaps the greatest day of Jimmy Cornett's life. All this and more on the Greatest Memphis Wrestling Podcast on God's Green Earth, right after this.
2: You know, I got here early. I was supposed to wrestle. I see, you know, you, they don't have my name on the list. No, it's, it's not. They had me down against Pat Hutchison. Now, you and I know you could beat Pat Hutchison, couldn't you, Lance? Hey, come on. So, I got dressed, and uh, Eddie Marlin says, you're wrestling Pat Hutchison? I said, scratch me off the list. Eddie, it's no use me even wasting my time. But I would like, before I leave today, I would like to have the opportunity to uh, shake hands with Ric Flair, the world heavyweight champion.
1: If, you haven't uh, I see met that he's...
2: Uh, Rick before? Oh, I... I just said I would like to shake hands with Rick. Oh, well, uh, he's supposed to wrestle now. If you could go ahead and uh, ring the uh, bell, maybe yeah. I could just stay out here. and. You
3: okay, know, uh, let, let me get around here. and We'll tap the bell, and we'll get uh, the champion out here. Because he is, as a matter of fact, coming up in the next bout. He's going against young Rick McCord, and uh, it'll be our is, first look at him. He's here.
2: obviously great, isn't he? I mean, you know... Uh, he sounded like he's uh, full of confidence. Uh, he is full of confidence. He is the... Question about it.
4: And um, there he is right here.
2: Here he comes.
3: The NWA World Heavyweight Champion, Rick Flair. Rick, can we get you uh, before Rick? you... Rick? Rick, can I get you to come over here just a moment? Uh, Do you mind
2: if I just... I just want to talk to you for just a second. Wish you well on your match. Shake hands and... This kind of thing? You don't mind? Rick, uh...
4: Okay. <laughs> Plenty
2: of time for that. Plenty of time for that.
3: Okay, and I think, uh, obviously, uh, these two gentlemen uh, know each other. The Southern just, heavyweight champion, Jerry Lawler, and Rick Flair of the world. Welcome, welcome you to the name? series.
2: What was the name? <laughs> come on, you know you know me as well as you know. Well, you don't know Lance, but you know we've wrestled on a lot of cards in Florida just a couple of weeks ago. Jerry Lawler, you know that. Right? But, I mean, you know, I understand. I understand completely. Look, he's got that little devilish smile there. I know Rick very well. I agreed
5: to come to Memphis, Tennessee, because the world champion should give everyone an opportunity to see big-time professional wrestling at its best. But Jerry Lawler. <laughs> I believe they call him the king over here in Memphis It's not going to take up any time of the world champions. Now you see, there's a lot of women in this audience over there that are dying for me to slide out of the $7,000 robe. So, Mr. Lawler, when I get through with, uh, what's his name? Rick McCord. When I get through with Mr. McCord, I'll be back. How's well, that let, me,
2: let me say this. Now, it's, it's, it's all, you know, it's plain to see that you are here for one reason. And that is to impress all of these pretty women that you see sitting in the audience. And there are some pretty ones. You know, I heard you say uh, that you had heard a lot about this area, about, you know, that maybe it was all rednecks and uh, that kind of thing down here. But I think you can see from the people here that uh, you were misinformed. And you want to, being the world champion that you are, the great, undoubtedly, as you said earlier, the greatest wrestler in the world today. Is that right? Well, okay. What you need to do here...
5: I couldn't have said that better myself. Okay, you,
2: fine. Oh, hey, you won't get any arguments from me. You know, what you want to do is look as good as possible. This is the first time that you've been on this TV in this That's area. Right. You want to impress these people. You want to look as good as possible today in front of these thousands of people that are watching. Now, I'm going to tell you something about Rick McCord. Now, this is, I like Rick McCord, and this is no offense to Rick at all, but Rick is a young wrestler, he's fairly inexperienced. And I think it's safe to say that Rick has never won a match here on this television. Is that Am I correct? I don't remember it if he did. I'm not saying that. that as a knock to, to Rick. I'm saying it because the man is inexperienced. Now, were a man of your caliber to go in the ring there, you being the world heavyweight champion, were you to go in there and beat Rick Flair or would, and beat Rick McCord, you, you really aren't going to impress anybody. I mean, when you step in the ring, you wouldn't be able to walk in that audience and get one person to say that that man has a chance against
5: you. You know, you and I just aren't communicating on the same level. You see, these people are here. I could go in there and wrestle a broom. They're here to see Ric Flair. Now, I'm telling you, I gave Memphis a little credit. Memphis has shown me a little bit more than I thought ever possible in the city of Memphis, Tennessee. But you don't seem to understand these people over here have come to see me against anybody. It could be you. It could be, uh, uh, who, who's the little guy with the dark hair? What's his name?
1: What do Bill, they call Bill him? Bill Dundee. Oh, B-
5: Bill Dundee. It could be anybody. Ric Flair, the greatest. Ric Flair, the legend. Ric Flair, your world champion your world champion and all these people out here world champion so there's no difference you want me to wrestle somebody else Give me somebody else competition is all secondary next to rick Flair.
2: rick excuse me just one more second you just said the magic words there if you you are the world heavyweight champion that is there's no doubt in anybody's mind you wear the gold you're the greatest wrestler in the world today so like you said it shouldn't matter who you wrestle nobody's in your caliber right but, well, why don't we let Rick go on back to the dressing room, and I had a match schedule very similar to this man right here. If you don't mind, why don't you and I go in the ring. Now, listen, like I said, no wait. No, no, no. No. Listen, wait a minute, Rick. I think it's the folks obvious, like that. It's obvious to you that even I'm not in your caliber. Nobody in this area is in your caliber. So when you beat me, you're going to impress these people. They will be impressed when you beat Jerry Lawler right in that ring.
5: Right you want to wrestle the world champion?
2: Don't you think anybody wants to wrestle the world champion? Hey. It's an honor for me, Rick. I would love to wrestle. It would what, be ca-
3: What kind of a time a limit riff? do we have
5: in these matches?
2: Uh, Ten minutes. One fall,
3: ten minute uh, time limit.
5: You want ten minutes of my time?
3: I would love it. Is that all right with you?
5: Non-title, get in the ring, brother.
3: Uh, wait, wait,
2: wait, 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 wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute.
3: Rick Flair has said he will go on a non-title,
2: one fall, ten minute time limit, bout. Let me ask you one more thing. I know I realize i 'm taking a lot of your time here, and it 's very valuable, precious time but since since I or uh, Rick McCord up there, nobody in this area is in the same caliber of wrestler as you, and that 's true because you are the one and only world champion since we 've only got ten minutes, why don 't we really make this interesting? why don 't we make everybody out there at home excited? all of these people really excited, make this the most interesting, and exciting show that there 's ever been on wrestling and Put the world title up for just the ten minutes. No big deal. No. You probably beat me in thirty seconds.
5: You wouldn't be You're the world little, champion. You wouldn't be putting a little of that country jive on me now, would you? No,
2: no. You know Lance? Would I jive the world? The world, the heavy world, world champion?
5: champion never puts his title on TV. Number one, I don't make five hundred thousand dollars a year. I don't fly around in a big jet defending that title on local TV programs. You understand? I get But I'll tell you what I'm gonna do. Because you're a big deal around here. Because I even saw you on TV the other night. Boy, you were a real big deal the other night. Tell you what I'm going to do for you, what I'm going to do for you, and I'm going to do for Memphis. Because I think it's long overdue. You get in that ring, the belt will be on the line, and I'm going to pull you through your hoop, Daddy.
3: Mmm, you heard it right there. Rick Flair said he would put the title on the line. For ten minutes, the world heavyweight championship is at stake in this ring, right? That's what the man said. I didn't know you could have a ten-minute uh, championship match, but Ric Flair has. Uh...
0: So Rick McCord steps out. Okay, Dave. How about the official intro? Whoa! And we are back on Kentucky Fried Wrestling, and once again we are going to make like Huey Lewis and the News. That's right, and the News, and we're going to go back in time, specifically. August 14th, 1982, uh, a day that has certainly uh, lived on in in infamy when it comes to Memphis wrestling fans. Uh, If you talk to the parties involved, I doubt that uh, Ric Flair would even remember it. Uh, Actually, that's not true. Flair, without a doubt, would remember it because uh, the way it ended up, it certainly left a bad taste in his mouth, and we'll uh, explain that a little bit, Um, and if you haven't guessed by now... We are talking about the first ever appearance of Ric Flair in the Memphis Wrestling Studio. And as it turned out, it would be the last appearance of Ric Flair at 1960 Union Avenue on this day in 1982. Um, And it's also the first time the NWA World Heavyweight Championship would be supposedly defended uh, live in front of the 350,000 fans watching, including me. Uh, this was a very exciting time, August 14th, 1982, if I'm, if, if I'm, I, I'm, I feel like I'm, I'm fairly correct here. Uh, this is right when we were getting ready to go back to school. Uh, I believe we started back to school on the 17th and during Promotions was pretty much well known for, uh, you know, business would sort sort of slow down a little bit around March, uh, February and March, and then really get hot again in May. And then, man, once June kicked in, everybody's out of school, the promotion would get red hot. I believe the promotion averaged about 8,500 fans in 1981, and that number went up to 8,900 in the summer of 82. And the summer is winding down, it's already been a huge year for the promotion, um, not only attendance-wise, but also uh, suddenly Jerry Lawler is, is appearing in all the uh, aftermags. mags. Uh, he never could quite land a cover shot, though uh until he wound up on the cover of pro wrestling illustrator and i bring that up only because uh, i was such a huge mark and it just frustrated me frustrated me to no end that tommy rich and hulk hogan dusty Rhodes, and yes memphis mascaris Neil mascaris <laughs> would always dominate the covers and the king was always left out and I, um, I finally got Lawler to autograph my copy of Professional Illustrator, which I believe came out in, uh, in around this time in '82. In um, and I said, "Wow, you finally made the cover!" And without even looking at me, Lawler just kind of has his head down. He's signing with, "Yeah." It only took me ten years, <laughs> so he was. He was not too happy that uh, <laughs> that he was relegated to uh, just headlines on the magazine and not the actual cover. Even the big incident with Andy Kaufman did not land the King a cover shot. Uh, it appeared on in an issue of The Wrestler over the summer because, uh, you know, the things were like two months behind. And while Lawler made the front pages everywhere nationwide, uh, with the, uh, the, the whole Andy Kaufman thing, which did not sell out the Mid-South Coliseum, I, w- I want to reiterate that fact. Uh, they did draw almost 9,000 people, um, and they wouldn't crack 10,000 people for a Kaufman appearance until April of 83. Uh, but I am getting way, way ahead of myself here. So let's turn back the clock, and who better than to discuss this angle regarding rick flair then the man who taught rick flair everything he knows about kiss stealing and wheeling dealing the man who served as a mentor to flair when it comes to limousine riding and perhaps value jet flying and yes styling and profiling he may not be the nature boy of the podcasting world but he is most certainly the new fabulous one for a new generation of fans your pally and mine howard got it going on baum howard welcome back to kfr
6: Wow, these introductions are just a plethora <laughs> of uh, riches for me, I tell ya. Hello out there, wrestling, Memphis wrestling fans in particular, and uh, I look forward to delving back into the reaches of my mind for the glorious times that I have spent in Memphis, Tennessee. <laughs> That's fantastic. I <laughs> okay. thought I'd give you a little George Klein talk up there, you know what I'm saying? I'm thinking of Memphis people know what I'm talking about okay uh, well, God it's an honor to be here again. I look forward to getting into this juicy episode i feel like
0: uh I feel like you're 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 uh are you laying a little country job on me
6: <laughs> <laughs> uh come on now
0: <laughs> all right um and part of the reason I asked you to to join us uh Howard is because without a doubt, I'm sure you have seen. Uh, several incidents of Moab and Rick Flair in the studio, uh, but I'm talking about, of course, in the Sunshine State where you were raised. Uh, and it seems like, and uh, you know, if it, were, if, it were, you know, if it if it weren't Flair, it, it w- were Harley Race uh, during their reigns as champion. They would uh, come in the studio. Somehow, an argument would ensue, and if the world champion got into a TV studio match with one of the locals. He was gonna get a shoulders pinned. uh Flair did this a number of times in Florida did it uh, mm-hmm. with Barry Wyndham twice I believe in the same program uh, I, you know they did a, like an amateur demonstration and Wyndham comes in pins in with the lariat and then they just have a uh, an impromptu studio match one day but uh, you know I think around the same time period uh, and this is also around the time that Lawler was appearing in Florida quite a bit uh, which actually comes up. Mm-hmm uh during the course of the angle as it, st- as it starts to unfold a little bit uh and to me i i just this angle resonates with me quite a bit and this all came about i, I got an email from <laughs> for one of my listeners james tolan uh, and he asked what was the story behind rick flair versus jerry Lawler in the tv studio where was it going what path did jimmy hart play um and I want to invite everyone to please send in your questions because this can certainly lead to podcast ideas, which uh, you know could certainly could certainly help because uh, you know sometimes you feel like oh gosh you know what what uh, what can we possibly go on and on about this week? Um, and I actually had the idea to do this uh, a couple of months ago because it came up on Jim Cornette's drive through. And this was a huge day for for Cornette. This was actually a huge day in Memphis wrestling. Not only uh, did Flair make the appearance, but this is also the show. Uh, Jim Cornette uh, was invited to uh, shoot the uh, shoot the match from at, at ringside, and there, which is also which is incredibly rare for for Jimmy to be in the studio. Uh, and then afterward, after the the taping had concluded, he gets the tap on the shoulder. Turns around, Jerry Jarrett stand there. He has said several times that he nearly shit his pants uh, when Jarrett goes, hmm. I understand that uh, from your mother that you are smart to our business. <laughs> 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 and, you know, just know what, Jimmy, uh, it, and the respect that Jerry Jarrett had and the way that Jerry Jarrett can sometimes deliver a line, uh, hmm. I'm sure that that, uh, that that knocked Jimmy on his ass, uh, if not literally, yeah. then figuratively. And, he just kind of stuttered his way through the conversation and and asked Jimmy if he wanted to be a manager. Uh, And I don't know if, if, because that was such a huge day for, for Jimmy, if you know, the angle may may be anticlimactic in hindsight, because this was certainly a turning point in his life. uh, Not only his career, but my goodness, it it really shaped the rest rest of his life and put him on a path to, to glory. Mm -hmm. Uh, But he didn't, he was not a big fan of the angle. Uh, explaining that he preferred the slow build-up. Uh, I, on the other hand, think it was refreshing to have Flair in the studio and to have it go the, exactly the way it did. I think mm-hmm. Lance Russell, who uh, you know, obviously you were very close to, and when I talk about the little nuances that Lance brings to the table, I think this is Lance, Lance's finest hour. And it's probably the best example of the relationship that was on display whenever Lawler was a babyface, face. Uh, Lawler and Lance seemed to have that father son kind of relationship where Lance is, you know, laughing at Jerry's jokes. And, and when Lawler loses his temper, like, oh, come on, Jerry, D-d-d-d- settle it. Mm-hmm. Um, and Lance is also a little bit in awe of Flair. Uh, when Rick comes out, he's got the double press, <laughs> the double breast sports coat. Uh looks like he just maybe steered his yacht down the Mississippi River. The only thing missing is uh is the captain's uh hat, which actually from what I understand, Flair actually did wear a captain's hat that day and left it behind. Cornette found it and used that as the gimmick moving forward. no way, yeah, no. No, I'm just bullshitting
6: um, <laughs> <laughs> The famous Bowden wit folks always catches me by surprise, but
0: as as it's unfolding um Lance introduces Rick, who comes out, and the deal is that he's going to sign to wrestle a contract, you know, when when his busy schedule allows, that he's going to defend the 10 pounds of gold against the Southern Heavyweight Champion. And they're very careful not to mention the AWA distinction here, uh, which is somewhat rare. Lance usually always, you know, made sure it was AWA Southern Heavyweight Champion Jerry Lawler. Uh, In this case, it's just the Southern Championship. Uh, because if it re- if you really want to boil it down, then why isn't the NWA Mid America champ getting the title shot? But anyway, uh, I digress. But Flair uh, Lance goes. He, he goes. I do have to say, and this goes. You know, this is not it doesn't have anything to do with anything. But that is one of the most stunning watches I've ever seen that Rick is wearing, and. I, it's just one of those little things. Lance just barely says it in his breath, but to me, it, it's, it really sets the tone for what's about to unfold here because flares come out mm-hmm. with all that ended compliments saying, uh, you know, Memphis has shown me a lot. I thought it was nothing but rednecks and I, uh, you know, I fly my jet here. And, uh, I, know, so I even saw a couple of Cadillacs, uh, on the road. Probably one of them was carrying Jerry Jarrett, but, uh, <laughs> <laughs> and maybe the other Lawler was driving. Um, And he was impressed by the size of the airport, which is obviously a big deal to the nature boy. Uh, Just really quick, Howard. uh, How does this appearance compare to some of the uh, appearances by the NWA world champion through the years in the state of Florida? Uh, We don't have a lot to compare it to in Memphis because we had Flair in the studio once and Bockwinkle in the studio once. And other than that... uh, right you know, we never did have it. So it was certainly, certainly a big deal. Uh, how would, what are you a fan of this segment or do you agree with Cornette that, you know, they prefer the slow build and maybe Lawler and Flair shouldn't have had the physical interaction up front?
6: A little of both because I was kind of surprised as a fan and almost a little disappointed that they actually had the match right then and there because it would have been a great slow build thing. Like after all of that, um, that was like a guaranteed sellout and it w- if they would actually meet. But there he beat him, And it's the time-honored thing of it's not supposed to be a match, but you beat the champion, like when the champion loses during a tag match or the belt is not on the line or whatever. You know, it's the visual pinfall. It's the actual victory. He's the uncrowned champion. And that's great. And, you know, being Memphis, being what it is, either way they went with it is fine and perfect and classic because it's Memphis and Flair might've come down to Florida and the champions might've made more appearances um, in the studios, but this kind of worked in Memphis's favor because it was such a rarity. It was almost surreal to see Ric Flair representing all of the NWA in reality and Memphis being represented in all of reality and its perception of the wrestling world, kind of like a Memphis in its own thing versus the big leagues, so to speak, of professional wrestling, and worlds collided. And here Lance and Lawler were kind of giving flair and also the wrestling world, um, you know, it, it was like their enroad into the territory, like this is what we're all about and we're not lesser than, and you might think that, and, you know, the angle implied a lot of that in a lot of the dialogue. If you're going to, like, what a way to get to Flair's heart. If you're if you're not a woman, the best thing you could do is compliment his watch or his <laughs> lifestyle or whatever, you know, bling he happens to be um, sporting at that time. Because um, it's, you know, right out of the narcissist playbook, and in real life, Flair is a textbook narcissist, and... Um, Lance knew exactly what he was doing with his little Andy Griffith routine about welcoming the champ and everything. And then, of course, Lawler, the master of playing possum, the man who starts slow, the man who comes out humble and un- unassuming, one of the people. If it wasn't for wrestling, he'd be working at the auto body shop with a with a Jerry on his shirt. And he's like, you know, they, they to Memphis's way of thinking, they knew how great their territory and Lawler already was. And it was kind of uh, us versus them, like a victory for the entire territory when um, things unfolded as they did.
0: Yeah, and it's funny that you, that you mentioned that because actually, you know, years before he would do it in, in WWF when he jumped ship with the uh, with the big gold belt, uh, Flair actually utters the words, and I don't know if this is an you know reference to. The, the CWA championship or the fact that Memphis has been bringing in the AWA world champion. But Flair has a line about, uh, I'm going to give them a chance to see what a, what the, what a real world champion is all about. Mm-hmm.
6: Uh, right. So, th- so there, you know, he meant, oh. and you know, he meant that. And they, they kind of felt that going into the territory, but I think a lot of this stuff about, um, uh, the craziness that goes on in Memphis, you talk about, Oh, they had a me, Dog food. Like, can you imagine guys in the dressing room discussing amongst themselves, oh, that Memphis shit, that uh, they had a dog food match? Well, if you were there, a dog food match, w- like, makes perfect sense. Like, that wasn't, like, stupidity <laughs> well, because, for no, stupidity's no. sake. Like, you know, it was like, it fit into the Memphis world. Like, that's humiliating. That's something nobody would want to do. That's a stipulation of the match. And how is that any worse than JJ Dillon or Oliver Humperdinck getting put in a cage above the ring so they could be pelted with eggs and milk and everything? It's yeah. just—it's the same. It's the, out of the same carnival playbook.
0: And I, I love—I love uh, Flair too with his with his comments about Lance Russell. He's like, you know, and and one thing that Cornette brought up, uh, he's like, you know, it, it, it was almost like Flair was too calm um i you know i sort of i love it i to me because to me you can't have the mr hyde uh flair without the dr jekyll you know i mean Mm -hmm. you've got to you've got to have that contrast and so for flair to come out and yeah it's passive aggressive with with the compliments and he you know even drops a line on lance he says you lance russell uh you know it's and and the tone of his voice is almost like he's calling his lady on the side and say, like, hey, baby, you know, kind of like, <laughs> you know, under his breath a little bit, uh, and that, that's trying to get the sultry vibe going, but he's just so calm. <laughs> he's like you, Lance Russell, contrary to my belief are a real uh, literate, uh, TV announcer, which I mean, right. compared to David Crockett, Lance, Lance was, you know, Galileo, uh, <laughs> <laughs>
6: Exactly, he was uh, exactly. Come on, man. I mean, Um, I mean, yeah. So NWA is supposed to be so great, and look at the contrast right there. You're going from Shivani and Crockett to Lance Russell, arguably the greatest announcer of all time. So obviously, you know, the curious part is. With Flair's schedule, was he even um, aware of Lance Russell? Like, did he actually get to check Lance out before that? You know,
0: um, I don't. I that's a good question. Uh, I don't know. I would assume that at one time, surely uh, they, you know, Flair had seen Tennessee wrestling. Um, and if he hadn't, and, and actually, Flair makes a makes a reference to seeing Lawler because I saw you on TV the other night. You were a real big deal the other night. And, of course, that's mm-hmm. in reference to the appearance on Letterman, which right. I believe was on Monday or Tuesday of that week. Um, and it's interesting to note, too, Memphis didn't need the world champion. Um, I, and and that is something that I think is a little bit lost here. Some people have speculated that this, this appearance by Flair was a calculated effort to – take advantage of the publicity of the Andy Kaufman angle. Jerry uh, Jarrett has shot that down uh, and said that 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 had nothing to do with it. Uh, some people just, you know, uh, speculate that because one thing happened that this must have led to this. Um, right. He, apparently, uh, you know, Flair and, and Lawler were working a number of cards in Florida that year. There had been a lot of talk of, of Flair coming to Memphis. Um, it had been... Uh, Lawler returned from the broken leg December 29th, 1980, uh, and the world champion was not booked in Memphis until this particular Saturday. That is a hell of a long run. I mean, sure. There were, there were a few appearances. Robinson kind of stuck around and there were actually, you know, it's interesting. There were a few scheduled bouts around the territory with Lawler and Billy Robinson, right? When Robinson left with the belt, um, and you know the only person who ever was ever able to successfully take the belt off Robinson was was his wife, which I think we discussed. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, supposedly in the in the divorce, <laughs> she, she she got the title belt. Um, so who, who knows where that damn thing is? Once again, art imitates reality. Yes, exactly. So um, Memphis, but anyway, so they've been doing the whole personal angle with with between Lawler and Hart. Um, and the past Monday, ironically enough. Uh, which Jimmy Hart references in his promo earlier in the show, they opened the show with Jimmy Hart bringing out Carl Fergie, uh, Lawler's cousin, who has cl- clearly shifted to the dark side because he, he's wearing a We Hate School t-shirt. Uh, <laughs> with Of course, with the artwork by Lawler, <laughs> it's, a, it's uh, right. kind of... Uh, you, you know, Lawler's, Lawler's comic book style artwork is so uh, recognizable. Uh, but for right. some... For some reason, all these Jimmy Hart shirts, uh, I think Hart even made reference to his friend uh, who was more talented than Lawler. <laughs> uh,
6: that's so funny because that's what always got me is um, every piece of artwork and, and the programs were written, yeah. handwritten by And It's like, how do you not know that? I visited there for like once and I realized, you know, just by looking at it, well, that's Lawler's style. He clearly did portraits of all these heels. He's clearly yes. giving Jimmy Hart his artwork. Like what the how how does people not how do people not see this? I think I think that the way of thinking was, oh, people won't think about that. <laughs> right. Well, you know, that speaks to the mom and popishness of the territory because it's like, um you know, everybody it, it was kinda like a very R gang effort. Like Jimmy Hart would be, Oh, we're running late today, the ring truck broke. Like every day would be like an individual it, it was small time, but in a charming way. I don't say that in a bad way, but it was like small time. It's like, oh, why, why shouldn't the star and the promoter also be drawing the uh, artwork for the gimmicks and everything? Right. And, and and the only time it it really made a, a,
1: a,
0: a somewhat of a big deal is like when you know Kamala, just this like stunning piece of art with Kamala
6: on the cover. <laughs> Right, right. So obviously, that's Lawler. Uh, but why would Lawler right, be doing like? That why is he yeah, exactly? Why is he doing yeah, exactly. like the Mongolian Stomper and Joe LeDuc, He hates these guys, and he's like lovingly rendering a portrait for them.
1: <laughs> Even though he
6: does, I believe in,
0: in that particular case, it was like two of the world's ugliest wrestlers. So in that case, right? Exactly. That's true. That's true. Yeah, yeah. And again, th- these are details you won't find anywhere else, ladies and <laughs> gentlemen. Context is king, folks. <laughs> um <laughs> uh, but and it's funny because the deal with uh with Kamala was really uh actually it it had already peaked because the summer was winding up Kamala had had this from right from the start and this goes back to Lawler appearing in Florida so much and working with dylan um uh, and you know Dylan at one point stole his crown and was king james uh it was a really big deal for 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 lawlor uh this 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 entire year was probably one of the best of his of his career um and on uh, August 9th, just days before Flair appears in the studio, uh, Memphis sells out uh, for the was supposed to be the final match. And Lawler has his hair on the line against uh, Kamala putting up the Southern heavyweight title. I believe James J. Dillon was in Kamala's corner and so has a diversion. Lawler re- reunites with Jimmy Hart. And, man, of course, that's just going to just pop the place. And it's the end of summer. Right. Uh, this is the last time that, you know, the kids can can go and uh, not have to be affected, you know, by the early start time of school the next morning, because it was getting increasingly harder. And I know I brought this up before, uh, but it's a fact that if you didn't live in this in the city limits of Memphis, then maybe you didn't realize that so many people you know there was like this uh, exodus outside the actual city limits and people moving to the suburbs, the the baby boomers. Um, and consequently, that made going to the Coliseum a, a bit of a hassle. Uh, you know, if a guy gets off work, especially the kids got to be at school the next morning. Um, that's the reason why attendance, I think, would, would sort of would drop off uh when mm. whenever school started. So this was like the last hurrah before summer, uh, and to see that dynamic where it was almost an ending, where the fans couldn't couldn't guess. You know, uh, they couldn't see Lawler losing his hair, but they also couldn't see Lawler and Jimmy Hart working together. Um, and I believe the way it it ended up, uh, Hart interferes, negates the interference from from Dylan. Lawler gets the pin, and on the way out, has Lawler g- grabs the title. He gives the old—I uh, guess it's the equivalent of a of, of the bird, but it's the thumb with the nose. Whatever, that, <laughs> whatever that just. Right. Is. Um and and Flair come and the heart comes out and he's like boy you know and, and, I, and I love heart's heart's uh, opening line he's like baby well I'm like E.F. Hutton when Jimmy Hart talks everybody listens <laughs> 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 and he's bringing out and he's gonna bring out Carl Fergie he's like he's like I'm gonna bring out a man who won about a battle royal and he's got a shot at the Southern we Carl
6: Fergie Carl Carl <laughs> <laughs> and it does no, it's amazing everybody gets their turn in Memphis
0: you have to yeah. give him that yeah. you know. Yeah, and it's but it sounds like it, it totally sounds very uh, very Andy Griff, Griffith like uh, Carl. Carl,
6: get out of here, Carl.
0: <laughs> uh, yeah, and you, you know,
6: I'll I'll tell you another aside, just as a little sidebar. I was making some, um, watching some Florida, making some copies for some people, and um, one thing I noticed that is that when I'm making Florida or another territory, I'm like, you know, it's kind of like background noise and whatever, like, oh, I remember that. But when when Me- when it's Memphis, it actually feels like there's a friend in the house. Like, you're not saying to yourself, oh, when is this over? When is this segment over? It's like, it's just so enjoyable to watch everybody's interplay with everybody else. It's amazing how the triumvirate of Lance, Jimmy Hart, and Jerry Lawler could be put into so many different configurations. It's kind of like God, to Jesus, and the devil... enacting their weekly Bible study for all to see because those three people just, and then all the other characters came and went. And um, it's just astounding how they kept it going and how they kept it literally entertaining and you actually felt like you knew all the people involved. It's just like a warm, fuzzy family feeling when Memphis Wrestling is on in the house. Because if you want to listen to... uh, I've got Florida on, and it's like Mike Fever against Ron Bass, and Soli is being Soli, and it's Florida wrestling, fine. But then you put Lance on, and it could be Nightmare Number 2 against Big Lou Winston. I almost said Big Jew Winston. I wouldn't play too well in the Southern States. Um, sorry, folks, don't mean to stereotype. One love. Anyway, you know, Lance could be calling the most boring angle or a match featuring a newcomer or whatever and you still want to listen because lance is talking to dave and they're just enjoying themselves and it's like having family in the house
0: yeah yeah uh, a friend of mine from from boston who i had on the show not too long ago uh john keating says you know i i honestly i think i could listen to lance russell read the phone book <laughs> um, and, and, it, and it's, and it's really like that. And and it's because of the, again, just the little, the little nuances that, that Lance, uh, would, would come out with, uh, would flair and soul team as, as the segment, uh, goes on to, they're about to go to the break, which would bring Lawler out. Um, flair says, you know, and he, 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 pull, he, pull, he, you know, does the fingers with the, with Lance's lapel. And he's like, this isn't custom made. But if I keep coming in here and, you know, the money that follows the world champion, maybe you can afford a custom suit. And that's the first time that the crowd really groans. Uh, yeah. They're kind of liking Flair a little bit because he's like, you know, I thought there's a bunch of rednecks over here. And and it's and it's ironic, too. When, and it kind of boggles the mind, really, if you stop and think about it. The possibility, you know, because Flair was actually born in Memphis. Uh, right. And he was a victim of, of the ad- adoption scam that that was going on, and ended up, you know, getting adopted by parents who, he, you know, he is, you know, admitted didn't understand him at all growing up. Um, you know, his, do- his father was a physician and all that kind of stuff, and and Flair w- was just fascinated from wrestling from the moment he saw it. So you had to think if, he, and that was like an AWA country, I think. So if if yes. he. Enthralled uh, in the world with the with the world of professional wrestling, then he most certainly would have dug Memphis. I think, and so it, it sort of boggles the mind if Lawler and Flair had come up around the same time in the territory. You know what what would the course of wrestling history look like? Yeah, uh, maybe know.
6: it's those Memphis genes that <laughs> actually propelled Flair to be the greatest of all time. It's like right. he had that Memphis DNA.
0: Perhaps, perhaps.
6: Um,
0: <laughs> that's probably a stretch, but you know, <laughs> um, it's uh, it's something that Flair has has uh, rarely even acknowledged uh, that, that he was born there, um, right? Yeah, and certainly, and I don't know if this was the first time that he had ever seen the city. Uh, this was actually not my first time to see Flair, uh, oddly enough. But and again, I'll get to to some of the reasons why I do think. That this is an incredible angle and very effective. Um, I was on vacation in Virginia Beach, and whenever I, you know, it was rare that we actually left the state of Tennessee for a vacation. Typically, a a vacation in my my dad's eyes was like going to Nashville, (laughs) going to Opryland, which for those of you who are not familiar, it's uh, it was a theme park centered around the Grand Ole Opry. (laughs) <laughs> oh my goodness. I I I certainly had a Kentucky fried childhood through and through. Um you know most most kids are going to Disneyland and we we're, we're going to Opryland. Um but anyway, uh we we did we did venture out to Virginia Beach and of course I had to find the local wrestling show and it was Mid Atlantic TV and I don't remember a lot about it but I remember it was the first time I saw Rick Steamboat uh and Flair Uh, wrestle in a studio but one thing that's great about this angle is because memphis started getting uh, mid-atlantic television in 83 and we started getting world class by the end of 82 so flair was you know obviously appeared on both those programs quite a bit you quickly became familiar with flair's routine and his spots Mm -hmm. You know, the, the whip into the the, the Ray Stevens bump, into the uh, turnbuckle. He does the flip. But this is the first time I'd seen any of this stuff. You know, Flair had just been this guy in the magazines with the robes and, you know, the color. Right. You know, it was almost like you know, whenever you looked at Flair or maybe Superstar Graham, it was almost like these guys were appearing in 3D. You know, they were just larger than life. It Totally. It, it's, you know, it's just one of those things. And, you just invi- you know, you try to imagine... The matchups, you know, the dream matches that, that you would have. Um, obviously, you know, the, the NBA world title was over big with me. Um, but really, in the fans' eyes, the, the world champion was Nick Bockwinkle. Um, and I talked about Flair and Bockwinkle with Jerry Jarrett recently. And I said, you know, with, with me, as good as Flair was in the studio and as good as Flair often was on interviews, he he still looked like a pro wrestler trying to be classy.
6: Yeah. Where with Bockwinkle, it was just effortless. Well, do you know the tip-off? When Flair would use fancy words, and he couldn't pronounce them correctly.
7: <laughs> when, when he
6: actually would veer off and try to look intelligent, he'd go, you know, I don't want to cast asparagus on my opponent. Like, he would, he would think he was being classy. And the thing is, the audience didn't know what he was saying either, so it was yeah. fine. They're like, oh, he's probably using a big word. But Bockwinkle was like a walking thesaurus. Oh. Yeah. Who could who could uh, decimate anybody with his mouth? What and
0: it, um, how did Buckwinkle say uh, something like these creatinous humanoids who suffer from anal cranial um, <laughs> impaction and something as, like that, as, as if to say their heads are up their ass. Right, right. It was a it was a classy way of saying these creatures, humanoids, these rednecks with their heads up their head. and actually, I don't, I don't <laughs> call Bakwinco even using the term rednecks. You know, because that yeah. was thing uh, that was slang that he wasn't even familiar with. Uh, yeah, and, right. You know, and I, I I don't know if I told you if I told you this or not, but when Bakwinco came in as a as a babyface once team with Lawler, I got his autograph and. I, <laughs> <laughs> I was like, Nick, Nick, can I get your and he's and as if to he suddenly remembered that he was a, he was a babyface. He's like, Ah, <laughs> yes, very well, <laughs> <laughs> very well. And that's with very, you know very little thought. It was still that arrogance of greatness. Um, yeah, and but he relented because he had, he had just put in a babyface performance, and I just yeah
6: thought you that know, was um something um. Subconscious to me about Bockwinkle that, um, I like, obviously he's the classiest man in wrestling. I call him the Robert Wagner of professional wrestling. <laughs> and, um, you know, they dress the same with the same glasses and hairdo and the big lapels and the cool suits and everything. Obviously an impeccable condition. Obviously a great spokesman for wrestling. But uh, to me, he, um, he suffered because of his long association with the AWA to me. Because that's like the Arctic forest of the land of boring professional wrestling. Matter of fact, no less than Jack Briscoe verified this to me, to my face, because he was walking by and he's like, how are you guys doing? I'm like, well, we're just discussing the AWA, the most boring territory ever. And he's like, you got that right. You better believe that. Something like that. And then you knew it was true if Jack Briscoe was agreeing with it. You, so
0: the thing really is, I about mean... This? Hmm. Did you ever ask Jack about Memphis?
6: No, I um. Nah. I mean, the longest conversation I had with him was about cars because okay. my car happened to have a problem at the at the ah. time we were stuck <laughs> in the airport. Wait a minute. And I'm like, "What is it?" And I and to me, the ten year old to me was going crazy because this must have been like an '05, whatever year Briscoe was out there at the CAC, and I'm in the airport with him and Bruce Owens and everybody and we all kind of knew each other. I was introduced to Jack at this period. So we're talking and stuff and we're all having beers in the, um, in the, uh, airport. And, uh, I go, Hey, cause I, I don't like being a mark and like bringing stuff up. Cause you know, it's like
7: <laughs> what, what, nobody what, likes
6: what, talking up. nobody likes talking about their profession. Like Humperdinck didn't like it. And it would just be a, a cue to the people that you were actually friends with or hung around. You knew they didn't like discussing the business, except especially with people they don't know, so I always look to discuss outside things like music or cars or whatever because then you're going to see like the real person without them feeling like they're giving a Bill Lapdner th- interview.
0: So, it, it's, so it, sounds,
6: it sounds a little like
0: though that you were trying to l- leverage this this you know this fragile
6: relationship to get a free. Diagnosis of what was wrong with your car. (laughs) Oh, totally, totally. And I came back with one too. He goes, Well that's probably I don't remember what the problem was, but I'm like I had a pretty good idea when I got back. I said to the mechanic, I was gonna say, you know, former NWA champion Jack Briscoe says it could be the exhaust manifold, but (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Yeah. So no, but he was cool. He was a man's man. You know, the people from that generation, Bachwinkle funk uh Briscoe. i mean come on there is no even there's no logical oh, equivalent I, to that in today's I've, world yeah
0: i you know i i didn't remember uh like the the quest for the title got off the pro got off the ground when I was about three years old so uh i I don't recall Briscoe coming in that, that initial round, but I do remember, uh, strictly based on everything that I'd read in the magazines and the fact that Lance was making such a big deal, this is shortly after, I believe it was it, it was um, maybe the first match after uh, the empty arena bout with, with Funk, and Lawler brings in Jack Briscoe to go against the Funks. And according to Lance, it was the first time in history that three nwa world champions would be involved in a tag match hmm. that's probably specious at best probably not true given japan well, what
6: was the wait a minute i can just prove that right now what was the date of that show <laughs> well wait a minute i'm not trying to listen i'm not trying to call i'm saying that it's likely you know okay but i've got a great i i've got a great example and a and a real trump card lined up so what was the well okay, okay wait the wait after the empty arena was 82 ish uh, no, no. April, eight, 1981. Oh, excuse me. Oh. Excuse me. <laughs> <laughs> April of 81 was the empty arena. Okay. Yeah. Um, well, I don't know the exact date, but I think it was 80 or 81 that Dusty teamed with Harley race against the funks in Miami. So there uh, you go. Lance. Yeah, okay. I, okay. I will see your, I will see That's, your, uh, I don't know. I don't know poker lingo, but, there's a full house. You'll see me, you'll see my
0: three NWA world champions and I'll raise you four to four or something like that. There you go. It's it's <laughs> really, it's
6: really sad that neither one of us
0: uh, are poker players.
6: <laughs> I, I never had the, well, with our, with our, with our dead facial expressions, we'd be uh shoo
0: I just wanted to drink, you know, I, I never, I never got into poker or playing pool. I
6: was like, I go, I go to the bar to drink.
0: Um,
6: <laughs> no, totally. I'm not. I'm not into that stuff. I mean, what? what where are you going to spend your money? At? Where it's going to be a guaranteed good time that you're going to have memories of for twenty years, or you're you're going to risk losing your money and you're sitting on a chair next to a bunch of guys? Yeah, you may lose That's your dignity. Like to, you would get shot down
0: by a, a chick. Uh, I mean, or so I have read. I, I don't know. Never happened. To me. <laughs> but uh, you know, because I, I would lay a little of that country jive and Germantown charm, right? <laughs>
6: So, there you go. Uh, uh, you know, this would be a good time to interject my story. It's, I believe it's the first time these senten- this sentence has ever been uttered um, of the time that I got laid impersonating Pete Letterberg. <laughs> I don't know what kind of a show you're running here, but it's a very short story, and it's very misleading. Nope, nope, it's like an nope, after headline. Nope, the night, nope, the night nope, Howard Baum nope. got laid imitating Pete Letterberg. Fans clutched their pearls in response. No, it was a very simple story. I know that people want to hear it. After the Mid-South Coliseum, went out for a drink with this girl, young girl. um, I mean, not that young. you know. I know it's Memphis, so I have to put a – and I was young, too, at the time anyway. So I'm like, I don't know, 18 or 19. I think I was 19. I think it was my 85 swing through because I think the one that we – I think the Howard that we're all familiar with from the angle, I think that was still virginal Howard uh, technically. I'm not quite sure. I would have to consult my diary, but, um, so yeah, I came back to Memphis, a man in 85 and I picked up this girl at the mid South and she was eyeing me as I was go from the dressing room to the ring, taking pictures that night at the Coliseum. And, um, huh? Yeah. Oh my. I fit right in, man. I came up there <laughs> within my first week. I was right in the routine. um i was good for the business and so we went out went to some bar by the hotel the ramada on mount mariah and um so i'm in the room with the girl and her mother calls the room everybody's dream come true so i don't live there i'm not overly concerned and uh, i pick the phone up i'm like hello she goes "Yeah." yeah hello this is uh pearl this is crystal's mother I'm just filling in these names based on uh, socioeconomic probability, and uh, I go, "Oh, hey, um, yes," and she's like, "Um, I heard that um, my daughter was there at the wrestling, and she um was hanging out with somebody from your organization, uh, Howard Baum." And I'm like, "Yes, my I'm lying on top of the girl," and I go, "Yes, as a matter of fact, Howard is a fine young man." And the two of them are down there watching Jerry Lawler matches right now in the, um... What do you, the hospitality room or whatever. And she's like, oh, okay, well, I'm glad to hear that. I'm like, okay. I will um, give him your regards, and I'm sure she'll be home shortly and safely. And bye-bye. You're you're about ready to to pop her strap. (laughs) (laughs) Somebody got something popped. Yeah, okay. And then, uh, okay. Moving right along... Uh (laughs) I just thought the uh you know, I thought the wrestling world needed to know that. Yeah. The one time anyone ever got laid invoking the name of Pete Letterberg. Oh, Thank you.
0: Boy boy. i see I thought you were gonna say that you were at in Cahoots. Including
6: Pete Letterberg. Now, in Cahoots, um, the Cahoots. I don't think Cahoots was in business when I was there. Okay. All right. Or maybe uh, Silky Sullivan's. Uh, No, no, no. Now you're, now you're talking. You you didn't even have
0: to leave. You didn't have to even go out to a nightclub. You just picked them right up, right up by the matches. Those
6: were the days, man. Those were the days.
0: Uh, okay. Anyway, I did ask Briscoe about Memphis. Um, Oh yeah. 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 And asked him specifically about Lawler and, and how would you rate those matches? And he put Lawler over big time. Good. Saying those were some of his favorite matches and, uh, you know, kid can't say enough good good things about him.
6: Um, yeah, if you notice, and Terry Funk put
0: Lawler over Big too. So and, um, and Bockwinkel, same thing. And that's why all this all this bullshit from Harley Race and uh, right. where, I can just think of like Race and maybe Dusty, who's not Lawler in the past a little bit. Um, and, and Race won't even give Lawler his due in any respect. You know, and I think just because of the of it, I you know I think a lot of it has to do with, uh waller's climb uh in the quest for the title program with some of the i think you know eventually word got out about some of the creative editing techniques uh-huh. um, so, but, but you know what that never stopped race from coming in and and putting lawler over and there's a, and race tells that story about the shoot interview uh in, the, in in several in a few few different shoot interviews where he came in and threw his briefcase at Lawler and was like, yeah, you heard about that clip you put together where you beat the entire NWA in six weeks right. beat Andre, the giant, Well, when you get out there tonight, we're going to see what you can do for real. Uh, right. and Lawler wouldn't come out and he finally, and I, the story even about wrestling standard sounds totally bullshit. Um, mm-hmm. and I asked Jerry Jared about that and he said, absolutely not. Never happened. He said maybe right. Harley was thinking that, but he never communicated right. that to me. And and really, if you look at it, let's, let's you know, you look at the 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 record books. Uh if what he's describing is the initial buildup in 74, um, he was a part of that. He's one of the ones who, who put Lawler over, uh actually not in Memphis, but in Chattanooga, when Lawler is, you still had Sam Bass and was and was slowly uh, establishing himself as a single star, Race puts him over. Race right. comes back um, in 76. They do the whole thing all over again, where Lawler has to beat the top 10, and Race puts him over clean. And actually, that was the last match uh, where Lawler had Sam Bass at his side. Uh, Sam huh. was killed hours later. So, wow. yeah, f- uh, Race was always willing to come in and take the check, uh, maybe begrudgingly. Uh, And in 77, I even asked him if it was the the same night. I asked Race to his face in Charlotte. I said, You know, I'm trying to put together the timeline of of when this incident would have happened. Uh, Was it the 77 hour Broadway? Because that's remarkable because you guys had a hell of a match. He's like, Yeah, I don't know. He goes, It wasn't 76, it was before that. I said, Okay. And again, I can't, (laughs) but you put him over clean in 76 you put him over clean in 74 so when was it doesn't make sense right
6: uh and yeah uh, and 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 by the way why would you show up to a show with an attitude like that where it could turn into something ugly and then you're not going to have a main event yeah but uh, what
0: jared says you know and, and to to harley's credit i mean my god you know the guy saw everything during his reign as champion you know he said he tells us likes to tell the story of wrestling c3po uh, in Mexico, um, and come to find out that you know there is footage of a guy in a C 3 through c uh, C-3PO. Oh,
6: man, I remember that. Yeah, I remember that.
0: And if he had come to Memphis, he would have had to wrestle Darth Vader in '78 because Darth Vader <laughs> was on the undercard. You know, it wasn't the fact that Memphis used these characters? You know, they used a Lord Darth Vader. They used an amazing Spider-Man. They used the Kisser. They used Kojak. But the fact that all these guys were in the prelims, <laughs> you know, like, like yeah. Spider-Man can't beat Ratamias. <laughs> right. Was, I guess you could right. argue
6: that, that game <laughs> Ratamias the rub, but. but it worked. I mean, you know, it worked somehow. I mean, it just had a charm to it where, I mean, I don't know what would happen if, if Florida fans were presented with some of that stuff. What but about? It just really wor- it, huh? Huh? What about Adam West
0: and Dusty coming out in a Superman outfit?
6: Oh my god, can you I mean there's so many things if you juxtapose the two uh promotions. Um yeah, I well, mean we should uh, we should actually do something about that because I think there's so many funny if you juxtapose the actual angles and stuff like, you know, I can't even think of any off the top of my head, well, but
0: What about what about the uh most popular wrestler in Mexico?
6: Hmm. That and translates into to any ter- any territory, apparently. It's funny to me that, that the Florida fans
0: are kind of on the on the high horse about the execution of the angle. Uh, I guess you could argue that it was totally unexpected for um, Assassin number one to be under the hood as El Santo. Um, and I guess it sort of made sense, because I think Dusty had actually done charity work in Mexico or something like that.
6: Yeah, but first of all, no Florida person would know that. The thing is, the, the truth of it is, Ever since I started watching Florida in in 1975, if you're standing in a certain location, odds are about 97% there's going to be an angle. Because just, I mean, you could smell it coming. And it's like, okay, sometimes there's just an award. But in wrestling, how many times is an award just an award? It's like a birthday cake. It's going to get used more often than not. Yeah. 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 So, I mean... I know, and not everybody was smart. Like, hindsight is so twenty twenty with wrestling fans these days. And you have people sitting in by their computers like, uh, what did fans make of Dusty's work rate and his continual use of the Dusty finish? Like, this was not part of the lexicon or the conversation or the thought process back there, back then. Everything was just very basic and primitive. And it might have been the same feelings because people were like, oh, he was supposed to win the belt and he didn't win the belt that was their shorthand that was their unlimited understanding of the dusty finish and everything but people didn't go into detail about work rates and declining and who's pushing who and all this stuff it was it was really just for something for the working man to forget his troubles and yell at some heels for a night and see yeah. some blood in action yeah and that's really that's really you know we're the ones picking it apart uh, us and and our listeners because These conversations were non-existent back then. Yeah, Yeah. and um,
0: well, um, I think a lot. I think a lot of people listen to uh, the show because you know you you do pick up. You always kind of wonder, like if you're. I think if you're a casual fan, and and now you you can go back and like okay, get the answers to okay, what what was the deal on that? Why did it take place? I mean, that's true. But you know
6: something, and being from Memphis though, you know how quickly things were thrown together like maybe yeah. a major angle would have a weeks would have a weeks run up but i saw like um just in my brief limited amount of time you could take that and and um just through exposition imagine that this goes on all the time i'm in i'm backstage in the where they kept i guess it was the dressing room where they kept the um the news desk and all that you know right behind the curtain mm-hmm. and everyone's hanging out and uh, Dutch Mantell was supposed to go out there and do an angle, and his interview was coming up next, and we were in the middle of a commercial break. Live, so everyone's milling around back there, and Dutch is like, "Well, I'm doing," and I don't know who Dutch was working. I think it was Frankie Lane, and uh, Dutch is like, "I don't know what to say." And Lawler goes up to him. He goes, well, "Why don't you just um, Why don't you just say it's where everything else is with your ex-wife or something like that?" So two seconds later, Mantell's out there delivering the line. And it worked, and it got a pop. You know, it's like everything was just done by the seat of the pants. Like Lawler would just show up to the arena, happy as a clam, and everything would just get – he's like, oh, why don't we just do this or do that? Like, oh, uh, Ken Raper's not here. And and Lawler would go, well, take that guy, put that over there, tell him to come out. And it was just so much – you could tell Lawler was having so much fun doing it. Yeah, because yeah. I don't know what the creative process was for Jarrett or when Dundee was booking, but Lawler didn't seem to have a care in the world. No, and he was clearly he was clearly giving directions, working his own programs, had his thumb in everything, and he was just just strolling through it, just enjoying it, you know.
0: Yeah, yeah, and I, I he, Lawler tells me the story one time about Dutch. Uh, actually, no, I, I I think Lawler and Dutch both told me the story separately. Uh, and that D- 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 said, because I just, I always wondered how Lawler could be so loose backstage. You know, he's he's trying to figure out his own shit. He's still writing TV. You know, if he were in charge, he was he was still writing TV. Uh, whereas Jarrett and Dundee were a little bit more detailed and knew what they were going to do by the time they got to the studio uh they would have a format because mm-hmm. Lawler's like writing it on the way you know um with one hand you know he's got one hand on the wheel he's like writing yeah I know way. I could totally see that yeah you know? Know? and it would be nerve-wracking you know I, especially for a guy like me because uh, this was still going on but the time I got into it if not worse right because no matter what you <laughs> did it wasn't going to raise the house so it's kind of like yeah um and I, I just I'd be one details. I, don't, I actually I remember Eddie when we did the deal where I came out there and Eddie Gilbert comes out. Uh, Dave Brown is the one who came up with, with uh, one of Eddie's best lines and the whole thing. He goes, he goes, why don't you say that uh, that, you, that you saw Bowden on the street corner holding a sign saying "I'll referee for money." <laughs> 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 and eddie eddie, eddie eddie ended up using it but yeah that, that totally came from uh from dave which was which was really good and that was like at 10 or no i guess because at that time wrestling was on at, at 10 so i was around like nine forty five, and by ten fifteen <laughs> doing it and it man talk about a total uh adrenaline rush but mantel tells the story of like he flubbed he badly flubbed a line and the heel, like, kind of laughed and corrected him. And it just really embarrassed Dutch. And Dutch was afterward just stewing about it. And Lawler came by. He's like, what's wrong with you, Dutch? And then he's like, ah, oh, that thing. And, and Lawler goes, Dutch. <laughs> he's like, look. He goes, I've been out here so many times. And sometimes I, I you know, if I ever do what he, Lawler, first of all, rarely I've ever watched anything back. But he goes, you know, a couple of times I may have gone, uh, 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 and i'm searching for the right words he said but at least it's real you know and the fans can kind of see that and he goes when i he goes i come in here and i think about the show for 90 minutes and then after the show's over i don't think about it anymore yeah you know, that's the best piece of advice i can give you another thing about lawler too is like i and this is a total shoot and this is and and there's no doubt in my mind that he was not bullshitting me uh he was not trying to be mr cool I I've learned kind of like how to if I want to get an interview f- with Lawler, um, he still won't come on the podcast, but that's fine. Um if I if I want to ask him about something for an article I'm working on, the best way to do it is to put somebody over. You know, the one of the best interviews I ever got from him was the day Briscoe died. uh uh-huh. and that was on a Monday, Monday Night Raw was hours away and he dropped what, whatever he was doing because he was talking about somebody else. And uh-huh. one of the best quotes that I ever got in my life from, from Lawler, because it's rare to hear Lawler put somebody over on unabashedly. Um, he goes, the best thing I can say about Jack is that he made the fans believe a punk kid like me could beat the world champion. Huh. And that is just that. that is such a brilliant line. Uh, And he meant it, you know, he, he he meant that from, from the heart. Uh, And he never Ah. forgot that because that really, you know, the fact that they were able to do a little screwy Memphis finish, you know, Eddie Graham's in the back watching with Jerry Jarrett, Jerry Jarrett says, you know, I looked over and Eddie's crying and goes, and I start crying and and Eddie Graham, he's looks at, he looks back at me and he goes, if you ever mention this to anybody, I'm gonna kick your ass.
6: <laughs> <laughs> wow, it's it. amazing.
0: Because, because the way we looked at it, Briscoe was his man, Lawler was mine. It was like our two children out there fighting. Right. You know, and, and they even do the deal when Lawler pulls the chain. Knock and Briscoe to sells Lawler's shot beautifully. Looks like he's completely knocked out. They get the three count. But before Lawler can get the belt in his hands, Jerry Briscoe is in the ring. <laughs> And Stooges off the chain, and they do the reversal because they yeah. were just to get his hands on that belt and get a photo with it <laughs> with Terry yeah. hard way uh, in '76, right? But right. Uh, but let's 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 get back to uh, to the to the angle itself uh, a little bit. Uh, Flitter goes to the back, and as as he's as he's exiting, Lance goes, and again, this is kind of the hometown small time announcer just marveling over the fact that we're going to have the world's best wrestler in the ring today. He goes, we're going to see Mr. Flair in his tights
6: <laughs> <laughs> right after this. And well, Flair, if, Flair, if, you Flair, if you think about it, if you think about it though, like Lance is actually buttering. He's actually softening Flair up. Like he's part right. of the con. Yes. Well, that's what, that's what, yeah.
0: And, uh, after this whole thing explodes in Flair's <laughs> face, I love it. He goes, he goes, and you, you like Russell. I gave you credit incredible wrestling announcer. I gave you credit for being a real man. <laughs> I can't help but think deep down, you didn't have something to do with this. And Lance looks so offended. <laughs> <by> uh, that. <laughs> oh. oh. Again, it, 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 you know, it, you can't even hear his reaction, but it's just his expression. He does a double take, and it's just absolutely brilliant. When Lawler comes out there, and he's, you know, as he's buttering up Flair, you know, he's like saying, uh, "Now you're scheduled to go in there against Rick McCord. Uh, I like Rick McCord." <laughs> he said, mm-hmm. "But Lance, correct me if I'm wrong. Rick McCord has never won about on this television show." And Lance puts right. his on, and he goes, "Ah, oh, Jerry, I don't remember it if he did." <laughs> yeah like he doesn't want to insult poor root McCord right
6: right <laughs> I don't remember I always love that line yeah
0: so brilliant it absolutely is po- it, it's just so what it's so amazing and <laughs> right. all,
6: like in the in the outside event that he actually did, I certainly don't remember it yeah, yeah. it's like ah oh,
0: that's great and he,
6: and he kind of does that, a little bit of that
0: aggravation I don't remember it if he did uh, <laughs> kind of putting Lance on the spot a little bit. But yeah, it all kind of comes off okay. Maybe maybe everybody did have a hand in this. Uh, what's what's uh, the, the bout itself is is sort of un unremarkable uh, given the ten minute time frame. But one thing that sets this angle apart for me, uh, again, this uh, this is before I'd seen all the flares routines. So all these spots are brand new to me. The only time I'd ever seen the. Flip the Ray Stevens spot with the flip in the corner, and Flair hits it beautifully here. I mean, just uh, rem- just it looks totally legit the way he t- he mm-hmm. sells it. You see Calhoun even almost raise his hand like he's going to call for the over the top rope, but Flair kind of recovers and he lands on the canvas. Um, and and then I think Lawler suplexes him back in the ring. Uh, the whole thing, and then does a the body slam, and then hits the uh, the fist drop. Which uh, which I always I didn't notice until years later that Dave Brown referred to that as the big smash. More huh. of, <laughs> he nails it with this the
6: big is, uh, smash. Uh, uh, description worthy was, of the great Bill Mercer. Yeah. So. <laughs> yes, yes. Big uh, smash man, uh, this is
0: the, the way this all the when it all unfolds in the in the, ba- the, the the initial ten minutes. First of all, it's you know there's no contract signing so. That goes without saying that the belt is not that actually up for grabs. Right,
6: right. Uh, that's what I was thinking all during the whole thing. Like, well, okay. if they do this, no matter well, what yeah, happens, that's, that's, a, yeah. But like that was the this,
0: likelihood this, to me. But you've seen this. You've seen this scenario play out in Florida. We have it. You know, th- this is the first yeah. world champion has has been in the studio with the belt that that I can never recall. Uh, again, you know, they had Bachmingle. I, I think a year a, a year later on January first of 84 uh so a little over uh, almost almost two years later Um Bach-Winkel, but he you know god he's not gonna wrestle but he did wrestle that night i believe it was the only time Bachwinkle defended against lawler in nashville so hence the appearance in the studio that saturday because he was able to wrestle lawler that night saturday right, night right nashville and then they came back to memphis and worked in front of about eight or nine thousand people um on january 2nd 19 19- and that was actually one of the better lawler bockwinkle matches i've ever seen it goes about 40 minutes and bockwinkle has lawler tied up in a arm bar nearly the entire match and lawler keeps kind of making a comeback and then bockwinkle pulls the hair back in the arm bar and the crowd is just about ready to explode and when lawler finally pulls the strap he comes out with this barrage of right hands uh bockwinkle fires back nails the referee calhoun's out and then Lawler delivers the knockout shot. Hasbok, fam Cowan comes over, and as he's making his way over, crawling, it kind of appears like he's counting three. And Lawler celebrates, thinks he's won, but he disqualifies mm-hmm. And They come back with the five hundred dollars a punch match, which is
6: yeah, great. Right. That was great. That was brilliant psychology. I remember that. Yeah. yeah, absolutely brilliant. But
0: in this bout, the thing I like about th- is that is that Flair is not booked like a paper champion. If you you know you stop and think about it, Lawler, you know, has the advantage, but then the tide turns. And I remember this was so this was such a big moment to have Flair in the studio. And you see Lawler put put on the sleeper, and which is also very rare. I didn't even know Lawler mm-hmm. knew the sleeper. And I'm going crazy. Um, I, my sister is watching with one of her friends, um, one of, you know, in, my sister was like two or three years older. Her name is Amy Is blonde hair. And I had like a little bit of a crush on her. And the fact that they were kind of caught up in the moment, they were actually watching wrestling for me because this is before the fabulous ones. So, <laughs> so they're, you know, their, their interest, uh, was, was very fleeting typically, but they knew that I was excited because I thought the world title was on the line. And I remember my mom and dad came in and they had been looking at houses. And they were, you know, Lawler and Flair were already in the ring, and I was like, uh, "The the Ric Flair's here, and the world champion, the, the world title's on the line." And I'm going, mm-hmm. and and I'm like, "Lawler's got him in the sleeper, he's got him with the sleeper." And then Flair does that move where he he, uh, I guess I get the glance as he wings Lawler out <laughs> to the floor. Lawler takes a good bump, bumps at the back of his head. So you can argue that Lawler is like a little bit groggy because he knocked his head on the on the on the floor, studio floor. There's no pads out there. Uh, he gets Lawler and he just takes over. He un- the first of the, the chops hit Lawler. And Lawler even acknowledged that yes, he, he absolutely hated the chops. Um mm. from a psychological standpoint, he goes, Why would you why would you chop a guy when you can punch him? Unless you're Tojo, you shouldn't be throwing chops. And plus, mm-hmm. they he goes, They fucking hurt. <laughs> you know yeah. what? Why do you want to go in there and hurt and hurt? Who are you working with? He goes. It doesn't make any sense to me. So he was not a fan of of that with Flair, and he also said, and he he didn't tell me this until until much later, um, that the like Flair's figure four was actually pretty snug. You know, huh. cause you can hurt somebody with that if you
7: <laughs> if
0: you if you really want to, if you really put it on. Because uh, my friends found this out the hard way because we we were trying to do the figure four, and you can actually put pressure to where it actually hurts a little bit. But yeah, he said, for sure. Yeah, because Flair would really ratchet that thing up. And I was like, Jesus uh, Christ, you know. Uh, but the 10 minutes ends with Lawler. There's nowhere to go. He's in the middle of the ring. You know, he's he, he's got the, you know, he's only been back a year and a half from the broken leg. So this is like his Achilles heel. And he's right. about to submit. And there's confusion. Uh, Lance calls for the bell. Flair's like, oh, he gave up, didn't he? And kind of saying, "No, you, you, you know, you saved him by ringing the bell," and he demands five more minutes. But to me, that that makes Flair. That's some of the best booking because it doesn't hurt Lawler because he, you know, he just bumped his head on the on the studio floor. He's, you know, the broken leg. He's only been back a year and a half from that. That's his soft spot. Flair is the master of the figure four. That match is about to be over. Right, uh, uh, and Lawler's. And that, and that, you know, it makes, it, it puts the the outcome in doubt. Lawler really didn't beat the world champion. He didn't pin him in the overtime. He gets a count out win, and some people are kind of like confused. Why the why is he screaming for the belt if he won by count out? Well, in Memphis, the title could change hands on a count out. Right. Uh, but he didn't quite get a pinfall. And if you notice, Calhoun does not even count. The fans count to ten. Calhoun's like, no, 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 no. This I don't know what this is, but this is you know we agreed to a ten minute. Time limit deal here. This is, you know, he see you see him communicating with Lawler. I'm not counting, and Flair and Lawler's trying to tell him, count him out, count him out, and he's not doing it. Lawler comes out to Lance Russell and he goes, "I'm the world heavyweight champion. Get the belt." And Lance is playing right along. It seems to me, yeah, that would make Lawler the world champion. He goes, "Hey Jerry, see if you can get Eddie Marlin to come out here." <laughs> <laughs> oh, I love it. And, and again, that kind of speaks to the hometown atmosphere the family right. like atmosphere
6: of it all <laughs>
0: hey jerry yeah when yeah, yeah when you go to the bank see if you can get it right.
6: <laughs> and that eddie, was the juxtap that's the juxtaposition you're talking about rick flair representing the whole nwa and then you're talking about lance calling for eddie marley to come out of the back yeah, yeah eddie'll, eddie'll eddie'll get to the bottom of this <laughs> right like that was that was the brilliant thing about that angle of where the two worlds collide and yeah. also, like I said before, the angle didn't – it made you want to see the, the match. It didn't take away anything. No. I, like, I, if I, if they if they would have had that match on TV or not, either way, it worked to get you to see the live match. Like, having them together did not hurt their – the draw. No. The shows, it just – it, no, it, it uh, added
0: to it. Because to me, the the issue was still in doubt. Is Lawler better than Right. Fle- we don't really know because, you know, Flair had him in the, in his finisher. Lawler was done for. And then Lawler pulls the strap when they come back to the five-minute overtime. Um, but, you know, he's gotten out of the figure four. So to me, it's brilliant because it doesn't hurt Flair. It makes Flair look pretty much like a badass who may or may not have mm-hmm. been railroaded into this thing because he didn't know what he was getting into. Um, you know, Flair likes to... Uh, you know, he, he it's barely caught on the mic, but when Lawler first calls him over and uh, sets him up for this deal, Flair goes, what was the name? What was
6: it? Uh, yeah, yeah, I remember that. Yeah, and, uh, and Lawler and, uh, gives like a half laugh, too. He's like, all right. Because he's, he's used to everyone kissing his ass. Yeah. And Flair's like, what is it? He's like, oh, okay, like, all uh-huh. right. and And in a way... Flair really did put him in his place with that as kind of a rib on the square comment, because here's Rick Flair, the toast of the wrestling world, and even though he's in Jerry Lawler's backyard, he's like, "You're not even on my register,
0: right? Right? You're
6: not even on my radar, you know? Yep." And he goes, he goes,
0: um, and Lawler kind of laughs. He goes, "Oh, I understand completely." He goes, "Look at the look, look a little devilish grin on Rick's face." He goes, "Yeah, well, yeah, yeah." Because we wrestled we wrestled on the same card a few weeks ago in Florida, Jerry Lawler. Vegas. but i, I, <laughs> yeah, I, I that's and right and it's yeah. sort of like it's sort of like a thing you know it's sort of acknowledging like the showmanship of wrestling and the the you know oh i get i get what you're doing here you're the world champion and right. you don't know who and Law, and player when Lawler tries to goad flair into putting up the title flair goes i don't make three hundred thousand dollars a year or maybe it was even five hundred thousand dollars uh defending that title on local tv programs <laughs> <laughs> and Lola goes, I got you. <laughs> uh. <laughs> oh, man. I, I To me, this whole thing. And, and it actually feeds into the uh, Dutchman Mantel Bill Dundee angle. Actually, Dutchman Mantel is one of the better lines of the entire show. Uh, and Dutch is one of those rare guys. And people have asked me about this thing. And they're like, man, what was the deal here? Was Dutch supposed to be turning heel? Because he attacks Dundee. And beats the stew out of him because Dundee is the Mid-America champion. And I guess they had done a deal where uh, Mantel had been in Dundee's corner. And Hart was about to interfere. And and, and Mantel sets Hart down. Dundee gets a three count. So Mantel comes out and he goes, you know, Rick Flair's here. Says he's going to wrestle the Southern Heavyweight Champion. What if the Southern Champion gets in a car wreck? The Mid-America Champion will probably take his place. <laughs> mm-hmm. He's like, it's a card game. It's like a poker game. Poker game, hey. Um, he goes, you got to play your cards, right? And so he needs to get in the championship picture. So he wants a title match with Dundee, even if it means provoking Dundee with some punches and only in Dutch, Dutch is just such a brilliant performer. He has feuds with Dundee and Lawler where he's pretty much the instigator. And yet he remains a babyface. That is not hard to pull mm-hmm. off in the territory.
6: Well, there was a lot of that. Like especially involving Dundee uh, Mantell because um, a lot of the feuds with Dundee Mantell Lawler, it would be such an interesting heel turn. He, and sometimes it wasn't even a turn. Yeah, but it yep. would be just like you know, like, and they would make an hour TV show out of it. Like there was yep. the the Mantel Dundee thing. He's like, um, I don't know if it's the same one you were describing, but it was. If not, it was another similar one. And they're like. It's the same thing Dundee did um, when he wanted a team with Lawler against the Fabulous Ones. It's the same thing Valiant did when he wanted a team with Lawler and Dundee against um, bounty hunters and whoever something. they were going up against.
7: Yeah.
6: Um, and, and then it's up to the babyface to say, well, I appreciate that, but that's not what we're doing this week. He's like, you gotta. So it would be Dundee saying to Mantel, well, you gotta wait your turn in line, Daddy. This is who says I'm the champion, and right now I'm on the piece of paper, so you just gotta wait, Daddy. But if it's the jury, if it's the Jimmy Valiant thing, wanting to get in on Lawler and Dundee's match, Lawler's like, well, I understand that, but we're going after the tag belt this week, and I have a single match, and you want a tag match, and it's just not gonna happen. Yeah. You know, yeah. and they would milk yeah. that dynamic of even the baby faces fighting against each other for card position and prestige. And sometimes the guy would turn. Sometimes the guy would not.
0: Yeah. Well, in the, in the, in the case with Valiant too, I, it's funny because uh, I, first of all, I love listening to, to Cornette. I could listen to Cornette talk, uh, talk about Memphis all day long. And he, he mentions the, the very same, Discussion that uh, that you're that you're talking about with Lawler and Valiant and Dundee. Lawler and Dundee had just won the Southern Tag Belts from the Bounty Hunters, and the Bounty Hunters wanted a re, immediate rematch. Lawler says, "Well, we don't have to defend the titles again for thirty days against any. You know, we don't have to defend them for thirty days against anybody, let alone the the Bounty Hunters. But we will defend the titles if Chuck Malone puts his hair on the line. And so it's integral that it that it be a four man tag, right? Mm-hmm. Australian rules, I guess." <laughs> <laughs> although i don't think i don't think those words were ever uttered on memphis television i think that was only a Soleism. but uh,
6: exactly i was gonna say they were sure uttered on in florida He solely <laughs> certainly liked saying that well maybe that's
0: why dundee was so, he excelled so much in tag team matches so there you go <laughs> <laughs> <was in> Australia. <laughs> actually not there you moment. go that's just nitpicking uh sorry mr crookshanks uh, won't, won't happen again uh <laughs> But uh, yeah, but that's why that whole that spawns the argument between Lawler and Valiant and and Cornette just saying the believability of, and and they do absolutely pull it off. The only thing that I don't like about that whole deal is that I felt like that was a rushed angle that happened strictly because Hanson was getting a little too popular. Because that was also the, that was also the same Saturday that they debuted "Son of a Gypsy," which is just incredible television and so far ahead. Yeah, has. yeah. And so Valiant is just peaking with his uh, babyface appeal, mm. and so they've either got to do one or two things. He's really starting to overshadow Lawler and Dundee, I think. Uh, either you got to go all the way with it, and that's not gonna probably not gonna happen. Right. Uh, well, that also happened to the Freebirds. That's why they left because they were about to turn babyface, and then they did the entrance. Uh,
1: huh. and
0: suddenly, they find themselves back in prelims as heels instead of. Shooting up the cards as baby faces, right? Hayes points to the fact, you know, we did that entrance, and I think they thought we were getting a little too popular,
6: huh? So you know what always, you know what was always curious to me, like Dusty Rhodes, um, was always accused of holding people down. And I'm sure he did. Magnum, Wyndham, everything would center around him. He'd be the big hero. He would save people. And this is just even in Florida, much less the NWA, where he got a big reputation for it. And Lawler, same thing, keep yourself on top and all that. But two curious things about that. First of all is the obvious, which is, well, if you're the promoter and the booker and the star, you know you're not going to leave, so you're going to push yourself. So that's number one, and that's easy, and that's been discussed. The number two, which has never happened that I'm aware of, and maybe if it has, you can educate me, but you have a Lawler or a Dusty has anyone actually come in and eclipsed the popularity of the homesteading superstar? What if Barry Windham was allowed to run free? What if Dusty Rhodes got a broken leg in 1982 and Barry Windham was allowed to come in and they pushed him? Now what would happen? Would Dusty never be the top star again? And now it would be like Barry Windham is Florida wrestling. No, I, and would it be I, like, and would be like, it would be like Jerry Lawler got edged out during that little angle. And now, Jimmy Valiant owns 30% of the company and he's, he's the Jerry Lawler now. Like when does it ever happen? Like you don't keep the guy down well enough and he actually usurps you, surpasses you. And now this guy's the name and you're number two now.
0: Right. And, and I, I, I think, I think Lawler breaking his leg was, was inadvertently the best thing that ever happened to him and the ter- territory because mm-hmm. he was, you know, he was cutting the best heel interviews in the country. And seventy nine, easily. I mean, he was. I mean, I, it's just a just remarkable stuff. I mean, he was great in seventy seven and seventy six as, as a heel, but this is on another level. I mean, it really mm-hmm. is. And, he, and you could argue too, he's in his prime as a worker, uh, but nevertheless, would still kind of take the night off against certain opponents like Dick the Bruiser. You know, where he's just not really doing. Yeah. It. When he's motivated, he. he got you know, that, I think that's one. That, one of the reasons why the Kerry Von Eric series, uh, clicked because Lawler was motivated to make that happen, to put that on a different level. Uh, yeah, you because
6: know. I was, I thought that to myself because that was so late in the day for Lawler. That was like late eighties Lawler. Yeah, and, um, but you know, as we know, Lawler, um, purely from a fan perspective, even when he would do angles in the WWE against Michael Cole or the Miz if he wanted something to work, he could bring out an old-style um, heat in his demeanor that yeah. made you think, like, amongst all this bullshit, this is like a properly done angle. Oh, yeah. I, even, even when Brian Christopher came
0: out, and, you know, God bless Brian, but uh, that whole thing, you know, and a lot of people kind of make, picked at Brian a little bit because he he kind of blew up on his way to the ring with the dancing Maybe a lot of people didn't recognize him, but man, when it gets down to brass tacks and cuts, that interview really stood out to me, you know, when Cole brought him in and, uh, he starts going, you know, I would need, I needed a father, you know, and you weren't there. And that was like a lot of pent up aggression. I think that Brian actually had, he and Kevin both. Mm-hmm. So for him to unload and for Lawler to, you know, to just roll with it and use that personal issue. Uh, and, and Lawler has that line about Charlie Sheen. He's you make sure you make Charlie Sheen look like a first class citizen or something like that. Um. And probably a little bit of that disappointment and how Brian's life right. was. Like, so there's just a lot of that in there, and it rings very true to me. I thought it was fantastic television. Um, clearly, they didn't uh, see fit to bring Brian back at that point. Uh, and I think after that, I think that I think that that really hurt Brian. You know, the, the fact that there was that tease maybe that might oh, lead to something else, and it and it didn't. Right. Um, but that, that was, that stood out to me as like, this is this, okay, everything else that's going on, that might be part of the show, but this whole deal with Lawler and Cole and, you know, didn't bring in the Senate, that's real right there. Um, and that's,
6: that's rare. I mean, at least it, it definitely had the emotion of, of watching an old angle where it's like, okay, so we're smart. We know it's, we know it's part of it, but. It certainly brought back the um, the style of working an angle where the guys are committed to it and they're trying to make it look real and they're not trying to be cutie. Mm. And whenever Lawler does that, to this day even, and and resurrects the old Lawler, the old working Lawler, the not the announcer Lawler, who you know, it's like Invasion of the Body Snatchers. Somewhere there's a pod and, and there's a guy in a purple singlet with a crown. <laughs> inside that inside that pod and then jerry Lawler, he even changed his wardrobe to go up there and be an announcer into those you know those drape ensembles he would wear with the epaulettes and everything he even changed his his style of crown yes yeah i know you know something but you know something maybe that was subconscious like to say to his memphis people like listen i'm doing all this bullshit but i'm not even using my real crown i'm using all these bullshit outfits now like this isn't me this is show business this is wwf me yep and by the way i don't know go ahead no i I, i'm disagreeing with
0: you that 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 is um were you you around say that again that's absolutely what i thought too
6: yeah yeah and i mean it was subconscious but it was so obvious it's like on the one hand you could say oh he's upgrading his outfits for the big stage but his outfits were lame compared to his real outfits you know if you want to impress come out with that with that uh that kiss outfit that red and black one yeah. you know with the cape and everything yep
0: yeah. yep yeah. you know um, and yeah it's funny you say that because that that was without a doubt inspired by kiss um, yeah but, no doubt in hindsight yeah it's so obvious yeah. yeah especially like the kiss dynasty outfits that were a little bit more yeah yeah elaborate but yeah without a doubt i'm not even yeah
6: yeah i wasn't I'm, like
0: into kiss yeah, we've already talked about you know the the when he made the big return, uh, that was a kiss entrance that he was ripping off. So uh, yeah, definitely a lot of uh, of showmanship there that 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 he took from kiss. But yeah, Lawler always had the great entrances the great outfits you know it's hard for a grown man to pull off wearing a cape but somehow lawler did and and my friends
6: thought he he was you know what's funny you know what's funny about that in um 1982 i was 16 and um it was right before i started shooting ringside um like you know actually allowed within the guardrail because i started in 82 but i was shooting from ringside like front row and so lawler was coming down and they showed the clips and it didn't even occur to me that Lawler didn't appear in Florida TV or give interviews, but he did send interviews in. And so they sent the interview in and I think Lawler came down to work. Funk and Buzz Sawyer, we discussed that last time, but it was 82. So I wanted to get pictures of Lawler and I'm backstage, like in the not strictly backstage, but backstage-ish where the guys would hang out. And um so I went up to Lawler and I would especially bug the outside guys, like the guys that weren't Florida local regulars because i needed to get strange photos you know other territory (laughs) photos and um and so i go up to lawler and they showed that interview they showed that clip which was like his reel and it showed him coming in from the roof coming up from the floor coming out on a horse then he's out there in the red and black outfit with the fireworks going off behind him yeah and he's like, and he gives the classic Terry Funk interview, And he's like, Terry Funk, I've been fighting you up here. I'm gonna fight you in Florida. So it was the whole highlight reel. And then Lawler's hanging out. And I go up to, him. I went up to him. And I'm like, hey, welcome to Florida. And um, I'm like, are you gonna come in at a horse tide? He goes, no. I go, are you gonna come in from the ceiling? He's like, no. <laughs> I go, are you gonna sure come up from the floor? He goes, no. Oh I go, all right, and he was really nice about it, but he was, like, humoring me through the whole... I was thinking through the whole... I'm like, what kind of special event? Because I thought this was, like, the entrance yeah. guy. Yeah. So that was all I could glean yeah. from him at that point. Because, as you said, like, even up till 82, the magazines were not covering him that well. And, um, you know, like, a year later, I was well-versed in Memphis, but at this point, I was familiar with him as a as a foreign star... And that was it. So I didn't know what he was all about or anything. And so I was I was looking for the big entrance because I wanted to take pictures of it and stuff. I'm like, are you gonna do this and that? And he's, yeah. like, but he was nice. He's like, no, nope, no, nope, not gonna do that. Uh you're, you're gonna you're a Corvette. You're, you're gonna. Well, I didn't drive here, so the
0: Corvettes at home. Uh, you're rid <laughs> of it. Oh, great. Oh my God. Well so that that had to be a little anticlimactic, I suppose. <laughs>
6: <laughs> and you, yeah, know? but he was all right. and, I'll tell you, and he did get over on his mic work. Like you know, we talked about last time. Like very few guys would walk in the ring and pick up a mic, but he did for his Buzz Sawyer match, and he would just say one or two words that would that would like get him over. So big, oh, yeah. um, Oh, and and, by the way, remember last time I was asking you, is Jerry Lawler really a tough guy? Are you ever in physical yeah. fear of Jerry Lawler? Like if you get, uh-huh. but I will say, and I don't get that vibe, and I've literally been around him. Um, and I don't get that vibe. But you know where Lawler was scary in the '70s when he still had his Southern accent and he had the more heavy facial hair. Now that's a Lawler <laughs> that was badass at that time. Around the around the time of that video, you'll know which video. It's the probably the first wrestling video ever where he's oh, at home, and it's yeah, exactly. And he's like, he's like, well, you know what? And he's out there in those weird shorts and no shirt. And he's like, I mean, I don't know if that was. I don't know what that looked like to 1972 Eyes or whatever year that was filmed, <laughs> but I mean, was there a time where that was like uh, intimidating or cool looking? I don't know what. He's uh, like, well, I'm going to go out on my boat. And then he's out on the yes. boat <laughs> and then they're playing his songs. It was ahead of its time. Yes. Well, yeah. And he,
0: and he comes out, and this is right, right when he's getting ready to wrestle Briscoe. Um, and he goes, he goes, he goes, people ask me why I'm so confident about this match. Well, that's a scene. That I'll do anything to win. Jack Briscoe, huh, he's nothing but a goody two shoes. <laughs>
6: <laughs> yeah, a
0: goody two shoes. Oh my lord! Uh, uh, I think uh, that
6: uh, early badass Lawler thing was kind of like—I don't know who he was channeling there—but I think it was a little bit of Elvis and a little bit of Buford Pusser. Yeah, maybe like southern, like like southern badass combined with like. Uh, Elvis, cool, you know. <laughs> <laughs> um,
0: okay, and to get to get back to the original email, uh, where was it going? Well, clearly this is going. This, supposedly, this was going to be a shift, a shift of gears because Jared had just taken over the book. He was a few weeks away from creating the new fab, or the well, I guess the new fabulous ones in that uh, reincarnation of Jackie Fargo and Roughhouse Fargo. Uh, the debut of Steve Kern and Stan Lane, which a lot of people called them the original Fabs. It's really confusing. Extra crispy, I don't know. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but '82 uh, was uh, certainly certainly wound down uh, very strong. Uh, but it's interesting that the in the fall of '82, when school back school got back in, the average attendance dropped down to about six thousand, and it and it really didn't lift until kids got out for the break. Um, and coincidentally enough, it culminated with a Bachwinkle match uh, in '82. Huh. Because Bachwinkle was back in the picture, and and I've heard uh, or read some some uh, I guess some I, you know the mind kind of plays tricks on you because all these all these different angles uh, hit you as a kid In Memphis there was like all these you know with every Saturday morning there was like a big angle. Uh, <laughs> thing with the AWA started I you know again I guess after they shot this deal, Fl- Jarrett was back in the same boat. It's hard to get dates on the NWA champion. Uh, Monday night's a big night for wrestling and uh, the South. Uh, money, you know, when the, the whole thing with Harley Race when when they first made the switch, every time Harley came in, it was on a Sunday. Just about, uh, which you know, wrestling fans are creatures of habit. Jarrett often did everything he could not to promote on a Sunday because uh, he just felt like that that it always hurt uh, crowds. Uh, right. Yeah, so. They went. They end up going back with uh, with Bachwinkle, and it's interesting because Bachwinkle came in. They announced his appearance on Saturday, and they said that he had lost the AWA World Title to Otto Wands. And that that very same night, Bachwinkle regains the belt, but they in Chicago. But they don't announce that uh, in Memphis. Uh, they had the first match with, with Bachwinkle coming in, trying to get back into the championship picture because Lawler's got this guaranteed shot at Flair, if he's the Southern Abu champion. So Bachwinkle is the guy they portray it as Bachwinkle as the guy looking for a title. Uh I've I've read elsewhere uh the people uh, that they remember it as Bachwinkle wanting he's the AWA world champion, but now Lawler, you're gonna have to put your belt on the line. But that's actually not the case. He was not the champion. Or at least in storyline, he was not the champion when he came in. He was a guy desperate to get back into the championship picture. So that's how this was built. I was there for the rematch, and at that point, they announced Lawler. Uh, comes to the ring. He's he's wearing the Southern Heavyweight Championship and carrying no, he's wearing the World Heavyweight Championship and carrying the Southern title. And I remember it was one of the few times my dad ever took me to actually the only time my dad ever took me to the Coliseum. And my dad goes, "Oh well, Lawler's going to win this." I said, "Why?" He goes, "Well, he's the world champion, son. He can't come back here every Monday night." And and so my dad's trying to smart me up a little bit. <laughs> uh. <laughs> 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 and my dad abruptly drops his arm, and then Buck Winkle ends up retaining. And the whole uh, the whole wh- that that's so they can get out of the deal with Flair coming in. Uh, uh, right. Man. You know, because it's easier to get dates on Nick. He was Garrett says he you know was not particularly impressed with Flair, and just thought the chemistry with Lawler and Bockwinkle was better, and so if it's easier. I to would definitely,
6: I would definitely say that. Like you can debate Flair and Bockwinkle, and I, I see both points of view when it comes to that. But um, definitely um, the uh, the um, whatever the chemistry between Flair and I mean Lawler and. Uh, Bachwinkle was, like, perfect. I don't know what it was. You wouldn't think Lawler would wrestle a bachwinkle style match. And by the same token, um, it brought a lot out of Bockwinkle. Oh, yeah. A lot of brawling and, and blood and stuff that you but don't ordinarily see him have against Larry Zbysko or whoever. They have him working up there. And what's crazy about it is, you know,
0: with Bachwinkle, you're not going to get the same match twice, which I think is is, right. is, a, is a big, big bonus uh because yeah because you know it wasn't too late the first time i saw the uh the, the screw the the dusty finish was in world class when world class started airing and world class i think by the end of by the end of 82 started to air and it was one of the very first world class shows i saw were it's the one of the better executions of the dusty finish and maybe it was because mm-hmm. it was the first time i saw it but kevin von eric seemingly defeats flair uh Bronco takes the bump, if you can imagine that, <laughs> because that sets up the babyface hound himself, David Manning, to come in and count three. <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, but unknown to Manning, uh, Flair had gone over the top rope, so uh, it's quickly reversed. But you know, at that point, you know, I don't know how many times Texas fans had seen that; they acted like they had never seen it. They, the yeah. building, you know, the roof of the building nearly came off, um, and I was just going nuts watching it as a kid, and. <laughs> You know, it got reversed, and then slowly but surely, you would start seeing that, you know, they call it the Dusty, but this is when Dusty wasn't even booking. Um, Yeah, exactly, yeah. Yeah, that finish had been going on for years. They did a deal. They showed a a video of Austin Idol, who's returning to the area, and just watching the clip of it, you can kind of see the Dusty finish unfold with Idol from uh, Southeast, right? Three coming out, counting three idol celebrating the two referees talking in the background about, you know, one of them's mentioned, you know, motioning over the top. And even as a kid, and I'm not really knowing what's an angle and what's not, you can kind of say, wow, that looks really familiar. How many times did this happen?
6: Right. (laughs) Exactly. Exactly. (laughs) There's certain, I mean, they want to be like, you know, protect the business, but then they have five angles that they're going to use over and over again. You're going to, people are going to catch on. And then you may, you know, the thing about, but you know, the thing about wrestling is that it doesn't reward close um, supervision. Like the people who are most into it are the ones who are going to see the flaws because if you see one Ric Flair match in your life, you're going to say that guy is the greatest wrestler of all time. You wouldn't believe what happened. But then every time you see him after that, it's the same exact thing, it's the same exact match. And it's okay to repeat some spots. But I think the most egregious example of this is Ric Flair's Ray Stevens over-the-top bump because, okay, every wrestler gets thrown into the turnbuckle a hundred times during every match. But this guy, Ric Flair, is the only guy who goes ass over tea kettle every time he's thrown into the turnbuckle. But if he's a face, he recovers and comes off the other side with an axe handle yeah, I mean, not a this racist. is like a crazy, <laughs> like, this is a crazy bump that shouldn't be able to be duplicated or replicated anywhere, but it happens to him every time he gets in the ring. Yeah, Like yeah. any other guy, any jobber gets thrown into the turnbuckle and he's like, gets thrown into the turnbuckle, but Ric Flair, the greatest wrestler ever gets thrown into the third row every time. And the face, the face flop, you yeah. know,
0: it's, I, I get it. And it works if you, if you're not in the territory much, but my goodness. Yeah. When 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 world class started airing in Memphis and then Mid Atlantic, this is where You didn't even need
6: cable yet. You know, <laughs> I, a- I, you know what it is because it it benefits the um the casual fans because guys get to even Flair said like if you never saw a Ric Flair match before, I want you to see everything. I want you to see the whole repertoire. Yeah, and um, I understand that, but that's if you're coming into a different market. Do it. But yeah. I mean now you're screwed because you got cable and video and everything and Flair has like 10 million matches under his belt. There's no way to disguise his repertoire, but think about it. I've seen all the greats and none of them had a routine that they would do. Not Harley Race. I mean Race was the closest to having a routine, but he really didn't. He was just a slow lumbering style. Yeah. And all his matches would end in, you know, in the babyface getting screwed and the title not changing. It it was kind of the same um, result, but um, you didn't say um, there's, you know, there's this part of the match where this is happening and there's his spot for that. Flair's the only guy who literally had the same match over and over, which well, is a tragedy, I might say, because I remember when he won the belt and right before he won the belt, he came down and did jobs to everybody. So when he had the belt, He would Mm -hmm. come back, and it would be like, oh, this guy already beat him. Now he's going to win the belt. So he came down, and he worked Mike Graham to Mr. Wrestling 2, Wahoo, did jobs for everybody. And during these matches, this was some of my earliest exposure to Flair live. And they were great. Like, Flair mixed it up. It was back and forth matches. It was not um, – everything was not – Unusual definitely definitely because i remember um when he was working too and he was champion by now and he and he was working too and flair just cut him off with a knee to the gut and i was taking pictures from the front row i'm like well that's cool because i like to see the good guys i like to see the bad guys assert themselves you know what i mean Mm -hmm. you never see a bad guy get some good offense in so flair just grabbed him by the trunks and 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 him in the gut i'm like oh that's cool yeah. Well, and definitely, it, Flair, Flair, Flair got to do so much more when, um, you know, previ- prior to, I would say the Four Horsemen era, probably a little bit before that, where he just became like this yeah. nice, um, composite champion. Yeah. But it was so far off from the long-haired, butterfly-on-his-trunks nature boy of the mid-to-late 70s. Well, that, that's and, what, it's um,
0: like, the whole deal with, you know, his appearance in Memphis on the, in the studio, he's got Lawler, he's, he's about to beat Lawler with his finisher in 10 minutes, and it, yes. doesn't hurt, it doesn't hurt Lawler because he's got the Achilles heel with the broken leg, so they both, right. been, I mean, it leaves the issue in doubt, Flute's, Flair, when, it, when the going gets tough and Lawler's able to pull the strap, um, you know, after Flair's been forced to release the hold, mind you, uh he scoots. You know, he didn't need this shit. You know, this is not. This is not even the ten-minute bullshit match where I'm supposedly putting up. This is the overtime, where
6: Calhoun's right, right, Calhoun's right. Like, and he's like it, doing. The thing is, yeah, if you think about it, like you said before, it's kind of like Flair is the badass because he's doing a favor. He didn't have to do any of that. Yeah, out of the he's good like, I'm out here. He's like, I'm out here working for free, yeah. and now your people are trying to fuck me. <laughs> Well, and that's the whole. So, thing. I mean, if you think about it, I, and you know, Flair might have even been a baby face in Mid Atlantic at that time. Uh, if maybe, you think about it, that's
0: where the heat, you know that's where the the heat, that's where that's where the heat stems from with he and Jarrett because Flair never got his return date. And so, he did this all for free. He never got a penny for any of this. So, because oh, wow. he thought he was going to get a sold out, but and they they would have. I I honestly think that if they had come right back with this um, in a couple of weeks, and it's funny, like on Monday night, I think it's Lawler and Dundee against uh, Kamala and Kendo Nagasaki, uh, and they draw ten thousand people. Hmm. So it's you know, and that's for like a grudge tag match. It has nothing to do with any kind, you know. Uh, that's yeah, how, match. That's how. that's how hot Memphis was at the time. And so, mm-hmm. you know, the having Flair there is sort of like the icing on the cake. But I honestly, th- you know, after school had started, if they had gotten off the ground with Lawler and Flair and it had been Flair's first time around, we hadn't seen him much on syndication. Uh, you know, you had to have. TBS, really, if you were going to be exposed to Flair. Uh, so all of this, all of these spots, all this stuff, all this routine was brand new. They could have gotten a lot of mileage out of it. And as a matter of fact, out of this, not, not only did Jarrett and Lawler get mileage out of this angle, but for weeks, uh, Flair's bringing in, you know, Hart's bringing in guys. You know, and the guy asked, what, what path did Jimmy Hart
6: play? Well, Hart got the rub, you know, from Yeah, the- he was the conduit. He was the yeah. conduit just yep. like he was for Andy Kaufman of bringing in people to knock off yep. Lawler in the time-honored bounty hunter position. Yeah. And so they, they get a lot of mileage out of
0: this. I, every week it's like, Flair's $10,000 check, you know, uh, is on the line, you know, they're bringing in somebody new. because uh, right. so Hart and Cornette are trying to get, you know, and then Cornette enters the picture. I think Cornette brought in Broomfield to see if he could get, uh, you know, collect the bounty. So there's all this great sense So Without even a single booking for <laughs> the world champion yes. gets the playoff, they get all this mileage out of Flair's appearance, which yes. is absolutely brilliant. And it was so different for most territories. I, I just, and I look at it and I go, like, why? You know, why did they bring in the world champion to go to Augusta, Georgia? You know, it's it's such a small right. time. And, and and you know that week that that Rich got the belt. I think part of the reason they did it the way they did. It was low profile. Uh, they had this mm-hmm. Sunday night. Flair comes in to face Race. Rich is on the undercard, and then the next night in uh, in Augusta, Rich gets the belt in
6: front of what three thousand people. Right. Um, yeah, it was and- very sneaky. It was a very sneak thing. I don't know what they accomplished even by doing that. Well, I always
0: and we're kind of veering off course here, but there, the, I think the reason why that happened and we all know the, the rumor and all that kind of crap, but I, I think the the way it happened is that they knew that they were going to go back to dusty, uh, in June. And not only that, but in Rich's backyard, you know, rich has been the star they've been building up. Um, and they send him off to Memphis. He does a little hill turn there. Supposedly that was sort of an audition to see if he could pull off the hill stuff. If he, if he did mm-hmm. not as a traveling world champion, um, comes back to atlanta he's he's in atlanta for a, for about a month really uh, i think he comes back in march of 81 and he's still working dates in memphis and you know they're at a house show and i think i think um oh, gosh i'm totally blanking on the guy's name uh barnett uh i think he knew dusty's gonna get the title in june there's already talk of maybe Flair coming in. When's Rich gonna complete his storyline? Because the whole deal was that the big storyline was that Rich left Atlanta because he couldn't beat Race and he felt like he let the fans down. Mm. Uh, I believe Race was the first one to show aggression toward Tom- uh, Tommy's mom, Peggy. I think that you know the angle was that this was going to be Rich's last shot at the belt and got him in Atlanta. They flew in Rich's mother to be at ringside and Harley comes out, uh, you know, and at some point is. As the match goes on, he's, he starts berating <laughs> Peggy for raising a loser. And Tommy just ends up getting decued because he loses his temper. And so he leaves. Huh. He, I believe that's the way they did it. And he leaves uh, the territory. He's frustrated. Nice guy's finished last. Comes into Memphis as a heel, right? Uh, so I guess in that sense, the angle did sort of make sense when Peggy comes out. And she says she's worried about Tommy. Because technically, maybe it all started with with Peggy in Atlanta. So this is a way of kind of finishing that deal up. And if you're, if, when are you ever going to have that storyline? How are you going to complete it? The only way you can complete it, and whereas Rich doesn't come off like a total wuss and a failure, is if he gets one over on Race. And so,
7: hmm.
0: you know, he has a talk with, and maybe he explains that, lays it out. Race always liked Tommy. You know, Hanson was a big fan of Rich. Put him over big time in his book. He's one of the best baby faces i ever worked with. I don't know what happened to him after 83 or 84. Um, wow. I think you and I both know, but that's that's a podcast for another day. <laughs> well, hey, Howard, uh, the time has flown by <laughs> very fast once again. We we're almost at two hours. Uh, if your last appearance didn't kill the show, then this will certainly be the death blow. <laughs> <But> I, uh, <laughs> if the smell doesn't do it, the infection will. Yes, yeah, so I'm looking at it as uh, as like Vince McMahon injecting his creation with a lethal dose of poison uh, when he brought it in- <laughs>
6: So does that make me your what? Am I your Triple H or what does that make me? I'm
0: absolutely joking. Uh,
6: man, I, I have you. You're going
0: to provide a unique perspective and you appreciate the little, the little nuances of the late, great Lance Russell and what made him, in my opinion, the greatest wrestling announcer of all time. Yes,
6: yeah, I'll it's concur scary. with you. I'm a Florida boy, but I will concur with you on that. So your
0: thoughts on the only angle overall? Did it, this clicks for you or no? Is is what this angle this, does? It click for you or no?
6: Yeah, like there was something out, unsatisfying about it, but that was that was built into the uh, very fabric of the angle, which means you're not supposed to be satisfied. And right. I think it totally did its job as an angle, which establishes Flair and Lawler in a feud, and also, as you said, now Flair can call in or not even call in. Andy uh, Andy Kaufman at least called in to talk to Jimmy Hart. Flair didn't even call in to talk to Jimmy Hart. Jimmy Hart would just pretend to talk and go, all right, baby, I'm I'm <laughs> flying in Terry Funk this week or whatever. I don't know. Whoever was involved at the time. But I think home run, oh, what yeah? more do you want out of an angle? I mean, there's no reason. If they didn't touch on TV, that would have been fine. And the way they did it was fine. And they just should have followed up better. Apparently, you know, we're at the end of the show, but Lawler didn't like working with Flair and I don't know what Flair's opinion about working this Flair always seemed to have trouble whenever he came in. He didn't like working against Coco. Um, well,
0: Lawler didn't rolling Flair until the thirtieth in '85. You know, when they when they had to have a twenty-nine minute match or thirty-minute match, and uh, Lawler wasn't even going to get a DQ win. Uh And some some speculate that was jockeying uh, on the part of Crockett. You know, because Crockett had ideas of coming into Memphis with, without Jarrett and he, and he did in 86. So yeah, uh, this was sort of, it was sort of a way for Jarrett for Croc to go, Hey, you know, why don't we work together here? And Oh, we're going to put the belt on Lawler. Uh, and hence the, oh, I'm going to win the right. world. i retire And then Dusty comes in as Booker. That's that's put on the, on the, uh, uh Dusty's certainly going to kibosh that. Right. Uh, right. So, yeah. So Lawler's kind of backed himself into a corner. Uh, and I'm so glad that they didn't resurrect the CWA title because when Lawler came out and he says uh, he's going to win the world title in 1985 or retire, he goes, and there are currently three of them, and I'm like, wow, is he really going <laughs> to? Hogan on here, and he's like, he is, you know, there's the NWA with Ric Flair, there's AWA with Rick Martel, and then, of course, there's the CWA title. And I went, oh, no! <laughs> oh, no. No, 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 no! Don't do that! Don't. Oh, no, no. And thank oh, God. Oh, my God. Thank God. They didn't, like, they, can you imagine they resurrect Billy Robinson, bring him back?
6: <laughs> he's been gone three years. Oh, my
0: <laughs> God.
6: How funny. In the dark corners. Of- <laughs> but- <laughs> yeah, you're right. You can't go back. You can't go back into that. Oh, but hey, before we go, I want to, I want to, um, you know how we always call Jerry Lawler the beautiful liar, trademark. Um, I want to, yes, hey, I want to, I, I want to give you people my impression of Jerry Lawler about to tell a lie. Okay. You ready? <clears throat> <laughs> I need, I need complete silence for this. I need, um, what do they call that before you go to air? Well, thought, the, uh, the wolf was part of it. Oh, Okay. Okay. <clears throat> Well, you know, first of all, <laughs> that's it. Like that's a, my uh-huh. that's my impression of Jerry Lawler about to tell a lie. Because well, yeah. if you notice, if you pick it apart psychologically, at the beginning, it's always like, I'm taken aback. I don't know what you're talking about. I understand some of these points have been brought up, but you have it all wrong. And that's when he goes, oh, you know. <laughs> and then he formulates his whole thing, and that's just getting ready. That's just the pulling the rubber band back, and now he's ready. And he goes, and then he adjusts, and then he readjusts his body position, maybe he puts his hand on his hips or swivels a little. You know, first of all, And then he gets into it, and then he's off and running. (laughs) And then he said, "And then, as the great Irving Cohen says, da 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 ddd, whatever the hell else you want to put in there, because it's
0: all bullshit." Doesn't he do that in that clip that you have? Of uh, I don't know how this happened. Uh, The Florida, the local Florida news uh, does a feature on wrestling. And oh my God! One and Lawler is it Lawler? And it's actually footed like, like one of the dream matches that we talked about: Lawler and Charlie Cook. Not that Lawler
6: and Charlie Cook. Oh like, my
0: God! I wanted Lawler, to get into this
6: with you. This is oh, this is crazy. Go yes. ahead, but I gotta tell you something. So, so, so it's Lawler
0: and Charlie Cook against Assassin Number One, Jody Ham, which again I think Jody Hamilton could have had a hell of a run in Memphis as the Assassin uh, with heart. You know, just with those promo. Can you imagine Lawler and Hamilton dueling promos? I just think oh, he would... was
6: great. Assassin yeah. was so good on promos. Uh,
0: so they have. A, uh, how did this come about? This this thing with Lawler appearing on the local news and and okay, that, this is tremendous.
6: I should I should I have this on tape. And it was for a week. WPLG came down to the Miami Beach Convention Center, taped a bunch of stuff, and then for five nights in a row they aired it. And one night was Mike Graham. Another night was something else, but they did Jerry Lawler two nights in a row. And this is one of the things that I wanted to bring up as part of The Beautiful Liar, because he tells a Jerry Lawler story, a quintessential Jerry Lawler story, and you have to say to yourself, is that really true? And the story is this, and he tells it on the tape. And by the way, I was there that night. The footage that you saw, that's uh, Flair worked Mike Graham that night. And Lawler and, um, Cook against Dory and, um, okay. gosh, darn, I forgot who else, but no, Assassin and Dory yeah, against yeah. Lawler and Cook. And mm-hmm. I was there for that. I mean, I'm even on that footage, but anyway, so Lawler tells this story and they're like, and one night, at, at one night, um, it even turned, uh, violent for the fans and Lawler. So now Lawler's in complete working mode, but as you know, you've been around Lawler, you can't distinguish from when he's just telling you a story that you know is 100% true, or when he's telling a story to be bullshit humble, and he's working you, and it's just a story that he made up, and he's using his humble persona. So the story is this. He goes, oh, you know, one night I um I was in the ring, and um they were doing something to me. Well, he told it better than this Lawler did, but he goes, and then here's the climax of the story, and he goes... And I'm walking back to the dressing room after the beating or whatever, and uh, and this old black lady, she falls down 98 flights of stairs. And she picks herself up at the bottom, and she goes, and I'm like, oh, my God, are you all right? Like, how did that, any of this happen? Like, it's perfect timing, she falls at his feet right when he's on the way back, and he actually can hear over the crowd to say, oh, my God, are you all right? But he's like, oh, my God, are you all right? He just fell down the whole bleachers. He did a Jerry Lawler bump from
7: 1972.
6: Yeah. So she goes, I'm fine, baby. I just wanted you to, I just wanted to tell you, don't let them hurt you, Jerry. Well, wait a minute. I don't, I don't recall Lola really putting the, uh. Now, okay, that's all from memory. But I have that tape, and I will post it to your page. I have that segment. So I don't know, no, I don't know how close I am to that, but I believe that's the gist of it. Like, she fell down a whole flight of stairs well, I, telling I, him I, not to get hurt. You know, yeah, she's this I old know. frail black lady. Like like I would love to know if that really happened. I think something similar to that probably did happen.
0: That would that would be right. you know what I mean? Yes. Yeah. yeah. Um maybe it was Miss Miss Lily. I don't know. Um I can't imagine her climbing too many steps though. Or maybe she just fell down. That was she, that was probably it. She probably Miss Lily, you know she had a and I think she she probably slept or something. But yeah. her, her concern was Lawler. That very much could be true, dude. I because I I there are certain parts of 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 bouts in like 81, 82. You can hear Lily when she when when Lawler is about ready to pull the strap, she is screech. You can hear it like, "Come on, Jerry, let's go!" <laughs> and that is absolutely her. She is going. She is about to have a fit right before he pulls the strap. Yeah. She's also, and she's also the one that after Lawler pile drops coffin, and, and no matter what you think about Andy, you know in Memphis the way they do the pile. It's funny because during the, the studio match, Flair is about to give Lawler a pile driver, and Calhoun tackles Lawler. <laughs> <laughs> like, yeah, like, I remember uh, that. yeah
7: No, 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 no,
0: no, 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 Flare about the Pell driver being an automatic. <laughs> as, if, as if, that's the case throughout the NWA but uh, only in the state of Tennessee. Uh, is right, that all, is that right. All and I think it's still there to this day. Uh, so, so yeah. it's it's the equivalent of somebody grabbing their shotgun, taking time to load it, <laughs> blowing somebody like this, right, and then you you have you hear this voice scream out, and it's and it's Lily going
6: one more time. <laughs> <laughs> uh, <laughs> I have to say this for you. He's
0: out. He's, uh, uh, that's he's funny. Like, just absolutely, just a blood curdling, bloodthirsty scream <laughs> from from <Mr>. Miss. <laughs> that's I, One thing then about that, I do remember them calling Lawler a Memphis State University graduate, which is certainly not the case. But he uh. did go to school there on an art scholarship, and maybe Lawler. This is the way he worded that. Kind of, yeah yeah I went to Memphis state yeah with an art scholarship i so <laughs> just assume that he graduated the way he's talking about it but uh, uh but anyway all right man well hey uh once again thank you for joining us Howard we'll certainly uh have you back uh if we survive this episode <laughs> <laughs>
3: Referee said he not know." Okay, well, we're off we're and we're running on it. it because Blair going after Lawler. This is an extended uh portion, a another match getting underway as Rick Blair says I want five more minutes. And Blair pounding on Lawler. Lawler taking those shots. From Ric Flair, he's driven back into the corner, and the king... Right now, being brutalized, look out! There's that Lawler move! And he nails Flair! Lawler knuckling Ric Flair! In this extra five minutes, is Flair holding on, Dave? Oh, he almost kicked yeah. him right over that ring post into the, the monitor and on the floor, and Blair slammed. Look at Lawler go to town.
7: Oh.
2: Blair taking a breather out here, getting out of the
3: ring. Lawler. It's been all Lawler in this uh, second five minutes. Oh, yeah. Blair grabs his uh, his belt and heads out of here. Rick Flair after being oh, yeah. Lawler telling referee Jerry Calhoun that he left. Count him out of it. And Jerry is right. He did pick up his belt and left.
4: Counted out of the world heavyweight champion. I,
3: boy, I tell you, I just really don't know. Uh, Jerry, the
2: ring. He's counted out. I'm the champion.
3: I, I don't know. Of course, that is nothing new. I have known what's happened here since uh, we all got started in this. Rick Flair came out here. I'll tell you what we're going to have to do. I'm the champion. That's what we got to do. Jerry, I don't know. but Get the belt. I got to take a break, and maybe we'll find out. Listen, see if you can uh, get Eddie Marlin for me during this break, and let me see if we can get this thing straightened out. We're going to take a break, ladies and gentlemen. And it's a, yeah, Eddie. We've got to get this uh, cleared up on the thing because Flair picked up the belt and left in here and uh, it would seem to me that that would make Lawler the uh, world heavyweight champion. Well it's real confusing to everybody except Rick Flair. I went back and talked to him and he said what's the big deal? He said show me the contract for today's title match and I'll produce the belt. So without his word it wasn't a title match. So he said
4: we had to have a contract. We didn't have a contract. He He is right here. Just a minute brother. Produce a contract. Well, Show me a contract. and said a- I wrestle for the world championship. Show it to me. You're a big deal in this town. You're a big man. Show me a contract. I don't have a you don't team. like it doesn't exist. You think you're talking to some country hick like this town's is no. You're talking to the world champion, we brother. We took you for your word. You, well, I'll tell you what. Take me for this, brother. You will never see the day that I wrestle Jerry Lawler. And you know why? I'll tell you why. Don't crowd me. Get in here, big man. This seems to be the only man in the whole town that I can look in the eye and believe. Get you understand what I'm telling you? He's like me. He likes nice clothes. He likes the good laugh. He likes the soft touch of a pretty woman. And he likes money. So let me show you something, brother. Don't you walk away either. I don't care if you're a multimillionaire, Marlon. I'm a multimillionaire, too. Just a minute, partner.
3: I presume then that officially means that the title did not change hands. It was no title match. Who's wasting
4: it was- around? You know damn well I didn't change hands. Okay. It's not the waste of the world champion, brother. All right. All right. Well, you, you just- know how to face them. I came out here. Out of the goodness of my heart. I flew my little jet in here. Out of the goodness of my heart, and you country bumpkins, you rednecks tried to put something over on Mr. Cool. No way, Daddy. Not today, anyway. What's the
3: What is happening here? We, uh... Hey, don't you worry. When
5: I turn around, I'll tell you what's happening.
3: Well, in case you just joined us, this is the world heavyweight champ, uh, Rick Flair, who uh, has called this meeting uh, with Jimmy Hart out here. Uh, all right.
4: My personal check. And, brother, if you don't think this is as good as gold, call anywhere in the country. Anywhere. I got more money and more banks around the United States than any man alive. $10,000. You know what this is for? Because I want you to bring me the blood and the sweat and the guts of Jay Lawler. And you, for trying to intimidate me, for trying to pull something off, are going to have to watch the slow destruction of your big-time hero. You understand what I'm telling you? I don't care if you're a multi-manator. You are a multi you do not Yeah, well, take this and take this. It's my word. $10,000, brother. I'll sign the check the day. You deliver to me a piece of Jerry Lawler.
5: I don't care whether you wrap it up, whether you put it in a box. I don't care. I want to hear that Lawler's got a broken leg. I want to hear he's got a broken arm. I want to hear he's got a broken neck. I want to hear Jerry Lawler is no longer a professional wrestler. And I'll tell you what, Daddy, because you're the man you are, that 10,000 is just openers. Now you, Mr. Russell, I complimented you I said you were a real man. Well, I'm going to tell you something. I can't help but believe deep down inside you didn't have something to do with this. And because you think Jerry Lawler is a big deal, you're going to have the privilege of watching this, too.
4: Because we're going to bring in men from all over the world. And so keep your mouth shut, brother, when I'm talking. Uh, And Jerry Lawler, if you're out there, remember this, brother. You are going to belong
5: to me. As a present From this man right here
0: Let me say
2: one thing baby For ten thousand dollars He might not even be alive The time you get back baby For ten grand For ten grand Woo
3: Yeah you came to the right one When you went to heart That's for a fact
5: Let me tell you something What comes out of my mouth Is as good as gold Put it in the bank What I can't go out And get myself I buy And I'm buying Jerry Lawler's hide. I'm going to be very polite. Lawler, laugh, joke about this, but remember one thing. You've never come up against Ric Flair. And what I want, I get.
0: And we want to thank our special guest, Howard Baum for joining us today on the KFR Podcast. And uh, as you can tell, I think I actually convinced Howard that this was a great angle. I think when we started off, he was a little he was a little indifferent, uh, which I think a lot of people are. But if you know, if you take this angle for for what it was and, the, you know, granted, there is that disappointment because basically they spend the entire show building up a match that never actually happens. And even in 1985, when uh, Crockett and Jarrett teamed up, Lawler and Jarrett, they didn't even have this footage. That's how that's how empty their collection was when it comes to Memphis wrestling. I, I was shocked when I started working for the King uh, in the '90s, and he called me and says, "Kevin says you have a lot of Memphis wrestling stuff." And I said, "Yeah, I you know I got a tape collection." And he starts asking me for all this different stuff, and I said, "Don't don't you have this? Does it the studio?" And he explained to me that they just taped over the stuff, and if you know you know Lawler, then. You're quite aware uh, he has a lot of videos in, in his collection, but uh, very few of them are actually wrestling. And I'll leave it at that. But uh, anyway, I just think it's it's uh, absolute classic stuff. Uh, it is a shame that Flair didn't come back. But, hey, you know, we got Bockwinkel, And in the eyes of Memphis wrestling fans, Bachwinkle was the real world champion. If you're looking for the real world champion of wrestling tees, you can find them all at memphiswrestlingtees.com. It's a great way to help support the show. We are bringing out a new spring line with new t-shirts on the fabulous ones, the Rock and Roll Express, and the First Family, all by our own Arcadian Vanguard artist, terrible Travis Heckle. That's at memphiswrestlingtees.com. You can follow me on Twitter at TravScottBowden. You can find me on Facebook at facebook.com slash Kentucky Fried Wrestling. You can follow Brian on Twitter at GreatBrianLast. Just want to remind you that Kentucky Fried Wrestling is a production of the Arcadian Vanguard Podcast Network. For Brian Last, this is Scott Bowden. We'll see you next week. Bye-bye, everybody.
3: The announcers on this program are selected and paid
7: by parties other than this station, namely the promoters of championship wrestling.